take your order, please? Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, McNuggets, tasty golden french fries, regular and larger sizes, salad, shepherd garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, big, big breakfast. Welcome to the Swaplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassadin. And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks, Corporate Edition. (laughs) (laughs) I do have to um, announce, you know, almost 200 episodes into this show, (gasps) we finally have corporate sponsors. We're now sponsored (laughs) by McDonald's and PepsiCo. We just couldn't keep brushing away their emails. Yes. They were desperate for us. (laughs) You'll be hearing a lot more, you know, SponCon and like very overt advertising in this podcast <laughs> than you've ever heard before. But I'm hoping that it'll be like a smooth transition. You won't yeah. notice us pointing you in any direction on what to purchase. Right. This Coca-Cola I'm drinking is delicious and refreshing. <laughs> uh, that is conflicting with the PepsiCo sponsor that we have, but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll allow some space for both to be represented on the pod. Uh, I guess the sponsor we really should be going for this weekend is Barbenheimer, which mm. has been taking the country mm-hmm. by storm. I've spent the entire weekend in movie theaters, like all three days, and saw tons more people out than I've seen since pre-COVID. Just every day, lobbies full of people, most of them wearing pink. Mm. Mm. Uh, did y'all venture out to the movies at all this past weekend? Uh, the rest of America did. Right. We did not. We didn't. I don't know. I think I was waiting for the initial rush to right. subside mm-hmm. but i think we're gonna end up seeing both of those probably next weekend yeah the, the true cinema soldiers who are like showing up when no one else is there you know yeah that's y'all are, right y'all are saving your resources for when the theaters need you most yeah i can only take so much popcorn chewing you know okay here's the thing we are not really great for business <laughs> <laughs> we consistently go to the movies like every week i think mm-hmm. um for the most part but we don't buy hundreds of dollars worth of concessions, no. which is where they make their money. Like if you go every week, you're buying your ticket. You're maybe asking for a water or a cup of ice at the counter right. and sneaking in your own snack and al- alcohol. <laughs> but you know, everyone who goes once every six months, maybe like these are the people who haven't been since Top Gun came out last year. Yeah. Maybe Avatar. Right. They're like uh, ready to spend a good $60 on popcorn and candy. I was amazed. I had a coworker who has three children that brought them to the theater recently and the amount of money after buying each kid like a snack and a popcorn and three extra tickets like you're spending hundred maybe a little more than a hundred bucks wow it's crazy I do have to shout out one snack that I had at the Britannia theater <laughs> for a wildwood showing and it was so I used to love nerds rope when I was a kid and they had these nerd clusters. So it's this like red gummy candy surrounded in nerds and it was so delicious. I, but I was watching, that was when I saw Sorcerer. So I was just like very slowly, quietly, like taking little clusters out of the plastic bag and eating them. Like I didn't <laughs> want to disturb anyone, but like every once in a while I will Put in the bucks for a movie snack. Oh, you went on that jag too, where you were like sample testing every movie theater hot dog in the city. That's true. One I theater did. at a time. Yeah, you know, and the Britannia Theater, it's uh, they have those Italian sausages. You <laughs> know, charming bread. But yeah, Broad Theater knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Well, what have y'all been watching? Have you been watching Barbenheimer, the only two movies that exist <laughs> according to the zeitgeist? I mean, maybe intentionally, I've been watching. A lot of bad movies. Consistent with the episode vibe. Well, I don't know. It's like 
I just finished this book by Sidney Lumet, who's a pretty famous director. And I was like watching some of his stuff, like some old Paul Newman films and and they're all like really, really good. And I was like, I don't know, when you see a bunch of like good movies in a row, I'm just like, I need to see some garbage so I can actually appreciate <laughs> how good these movies are. And so like me and Hannah watched Dear Evan Hansen, mm. which I've been wanting to see for a while, which was an abomination, almost to the point of so bad it's good. Like it's definitely, I think we had a good time yeah. with it, but basically just making fun of it the whole time. And the main actor, you know, who played Evan Hansen on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Ben Platt. Ben Platt, who in this movie is like 27, playing a 17-year-old, and it's so glaringly obvious he does not belong. Yeah, he is 27 when it was filmed. He's supposed to be playing a high school senior, and they put prosthetics on him to make him look younger, and for some reason that makes him look 40. So it's just like way all over the place. Compensating where they don't need to and like pointing out the flaw <laughs> right. ahead of time. Yeah, so that was like... That was very bad. I have a question about this before we uh-huh. move on. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it'll be more fun to watch after a couple decades passed? Because like, I feel like after revisiting some of these like quote unquote so bad they're good type movies that like it's hard to recognize that stuff the second it comes out and like maybe a little bit of time makes it funnier. So even now, like that movie feels out of time. Like, why would you watch that in 2023 in the first place? Right. But like maybe in 2033, it'll be more of like a cult classic. Kind I kept of like curio. I kept thinking of it in relation to like cats, which I think was a similar, like, Oh my God, it's that so- was recognizable. <laughs> but I think cats, I could see revisiting it and being like, man, that was fun. It was so bad. It's entertaining. Right. Dear Evan Hansen doesn't quite reach that level. It's really just like bad. Bad. It's doomed to be forgotten. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people with a morbid curiosity might go back to revisit it, but it doesn't have that extra little special quality that I think is going to stand the test of time. Cats is a good call. Mm-hmm. That'll stick around. And then another really bad movie I watched in light of the recent text messages that were released with Jonah Hill <laughs> is uh, uh, Stutz. It's his documentary with his therapist. Oh, my God. Um <laughs> Dude, I I went into it like with the intention to hate it because after reading these text messages, it's very like nice guy misogyny where he's using therapy talk about boundaries to really just be controlling and an awful boyfriend. He's like an enlightened abuser. And then watching this documentary with him and his therapist, it just it's icky and it you feel gross. And he's obviously like starved for attention is he on camera a lot is or or is it about his therapist in particular he's on camera a lot lot. oh no yeah it's like 50 50 so it's like an ego trip yeah yeah and it like starts as like a straightforward documentary and then they break the fourth wall of like you know dropping all pretenses like yeah we're making a movie and then it's like him kind of giving therapy sessions to his therapist while also opening up about himself it's just like a huge ego trip and just kind of seeing him learn the language that he would use to control his partner was morbidly fascinating, I guess, but I cringed pretty hard during the whole thing. So that was really bad. Um, One of the movies we're going to talk about today was really bad. One of the worst things I've seen (laughs) all year. So I don't know. Just been trying to like get in some bad stuff because 
watching nothing but like Criterion and Sydney Lumet films, it, it makes you not really appreciate the good stuff. You've had too many vegetables. It's time to eat some nerd ropes and movie theater hot dogs. <laughs> Break it up. Exactly. So, but what about you, Han? I know you've been watching some actual good stuff. Oh, I've been watching some good stuff. So I did see a movie that was released this year, which is streaming on Netflix called They Clone Tyrone, directed by Jewel Taylor. Uh, it stars John Boyega, Tayona Paris, and Jamie Foxx, and Kiefer Sutherland, actually, for a hot minute. Um, so John Boyega plays a drug dealer who is ostensibly shot down by rival dealers and then wakes up the next day. And two people who saw them the previous day, Jamie Foxx, who plays a pimp, and Tayona Paris, who plays a prostitute, freak out because they both saw him and heard him get gunned down. So they kind of work together to figure out what's going on in this. It's And it's a pretty like small, isolated town. And I, I really liked it. It reminded me of like Black Dynamite. They live um, definitely uh, sorry to bother you. It's like very sci-fi black exploitation. I really like John Boyega too. I think he's great. I know people were like annoyed by Jamie Foxx's shtick, but I really like him too. And I I really love like Sorry to bother you in that whole kind of subgenre. So yeah. I was I was very into it. It was I mean it was pretty on the nose, but I think it was really super fun. Really shot beautifully, I thought. There's some it's like really dark moody with some like beautiful kind of neon gel lights uh so i thought that was super fun you know if you have netflix i would throw it on it was good stuff all the comparisons you just cited are like more recent throwbacks to that kind of black exploitation thing but like not spoofing it but sort of continuing it yeah i was just thinking that from what i remember reading about this movie it also reminded me of three the hard way which is from that actual like black exploitation mm-hmm. era and it's about like poisoning the water supply totally yeah with this like chemical that only kills black men yeah so it's like there is a you know part of that history that continues over i couldn't get a grasp on like if it was like a spoof like black dynamite or just like a continuation of that style of storytelling i think it's it wasn't i didn't see it as a spoof it wasn't like a leslie nielsen type no 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 yeah it it reminded me a lot more of like sorry to bother you of that like like it is just having fun within the genre, but yeah, I think I think the the film that you referenced, it's like that's very much a part of the plot. Okay, and like the filmmaker is from Tuskegee, Oklahoma, so it's like it has, uh, okay. yeah, it has a part of that. Like that is definitely integrated into the story. Um, so yeah, I thought it was super fun. And pretty interesting. I think I, I probably like Sorry to Bother You a little bit better if, you know, if we're kind of looking at recent examples, but I love John Boyega. Yeah, he's fun. And then I had a complete um, kind of blind watch. I saw this movie pop up on a Letterboxd uh, called Miracle Mile from 1988, uh, directed by Steve Desjarnet, who I think only made one other film. Um, and it stars Anthony Edwards and Mare Winningham. It's set in Los Angeles in the 80s. He meets Mayor Winningham at the La Brea Tar Pits, which is, 
a museum and also like a natural ecological site, which is very, it's very cool. I didn't even know about this I place. I just watched a movie yesterday that also features the Libre Tar Pits. Oh, really? I was going to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so it's like this natural, like natural asphalt coming up and, and there are like bones of dinosaurs and other animals that are like preserved in the tar. The title is really funny too. Cause like La Brea just means the tar. Uh-huh. So like the, <laughs> the tar tar pits. Uh, name of it is the the tar tar pits. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. So so they meet at this at the museum of the La Brea tar pits and they decide to go on a date and the power goes out in his building and he oversleeps. He wakes up at like three in the morning and realizes what happened. Then he runs to this diner where she works and she's not there. And he goes to a payphone outside and he calls her and he hangs up and then immediately the payphone rings so he picks it up and there's a man on the other end who says like he's in a missile silo and like nuclear war is about to happen and it turns out that he's like accidentally called this payphone he got the area code wrong so then anthony edwards doesn't really know what to do with this information but he like goes in the diner and and tells people what he heard. And then there's just this like widespread hysteria. And then he's trying to find uh, Mayor Winningham amidst all this chaos. So this was like a complete, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, I think it was recommended in the same like breath as After Hours, which is like kind of a madcap Scorsese film, which we also watched, which was great. But I really, really liked this movie. It's like, has some elements of threads, but is like very zany and kind of like madcap and really, really beautiful. Like you've got like the neon kind of LA set pieces, like dingy diners. And uh, I, I don't know. It was just a really surprising, like fun and emotional and kind of like frenetic film. And I, I don't know. I would also really recommend it. I think I saw it on Tubi, so it's readily available. Um, yeah, I don't Sounds know. great. Yeah, it was good stuff. And uh, Brandon, what have you been watching? Uh, too much to mention everything. <laughs> I took off work uh, Friday this past weekend because um, it was my birthday. And I've seen at least six feature films in the last few days. Oh, boy. I'll try to keep it brief and talk about the three better ones or the three more interesting ones. Um, I did go see the Barbenheimer double feature. <laughs> I did spread it across two days and more um, appropriately double featured them with movies that speak to each other better than the two movies that everyone else were watching. But <laughs> of the two, I was really into Barbie, like mm-hmm. the new Greta Gerwig film. I'm going to stake my claim here. It's the first great like Hollywood studio movie of <gasps> the decade. Cool. It had this sort of bubbly pop feminism of Legally Blonde, but also the menacing hand-built artifice of the wizard of oz and like that kind of immersive like old school studio filmmaking Mm -hmm. from hollywood and just consistently funny and beautiful and surreal and weird and goes into these like sort of existential crises that sort of mix up the feminist ideals of the film in a way that make them a little thornier and harder to like wrap your mind around fully because you know the girls can do anything empowerment pop feminism of it is a little simple Mm-hmm. But it, it throws in these like kind of personal crises that reach for these sort of weirder, headier ideas. 
and consistently just made me laugh the entire time. Cool. Uh, and also watching it in a packed theater where like the laughs were very hearty in the first like 30 minutes and the more political it got and confrontational, the, qu- the quieter the room got, <laughs> which perversely made me enjoy it more. Um, yeah, it's just like a, one of the more, more fully immersive experiences I've had with a Hollywood film lately where like I felt like this was the height of the power of the medium. Cool. You know, it's been a few years of like very safe bet corporate IP things. It was kind of fun to see a director with a vision handle that new era where like everything is a brand now. Right. Which we will be talking about this entire episode. <laughs> but like actually using that in a combative, thoughtful, introspective way that sort of wrestled with the art versus commerce tension of Hollywood. I don't know. Yeah. Clearly to me, between this and Ennis Main are like the two like great films I've seen so far this year. Throwing that out there. It's cool. it's it's that it's worth talking about in that register. And then uh, for my birthday every year, I always watch a Schwarzenegger movie. So like the same day I saw Barbie, <laughs> I went home and watched Last Action Hero. Hell yeah. A favorite from when we were kids. Oh yeah. And continually is rewarding. Like every time I revisit it, I find new jokes or new sort of meta commentary on movie magic in a way that I find surprising Um, because it's a movie that gets dismissed for being like a good idea, poorly executed, but I don't think that's true. Like, I think it's, I think it's one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's better films and like talks about him as a pop icon in a way that makes both him and movies look better and feel better than they actually are. Maybe like it's got like a lofty way of thinking about him. I mean, I've seen it fairly recently, was one of my favorites as a kid too and it's really clever yeah it's smartly written it's got a really interesting premise and yeah the meta stuff is actually pretty interesting it's got some good like action stuff you know it's a really good arnold movie so in last action hero a kid who was slightly older than us when the movie came out Mm -hmm. uh, buys a magical movie ticket that when he goes to see his the newest Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, he's his favorite movie star, he gets magically transported into the film. And because he's a smart who like knows all of the like tropes of action movies, he's like smarter than everyone else in the movie and can like point out, like, oh, this is what's gonna happen next. That guy's obviously the killer. This person's obviously double crossing you. And Arnold is like completely unaware of who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's like in the character. He never breaks kayfabe. Um, and also is eventually undergoing an existential crisis in the same way that Margot Robbie goes through in the new Barbie movie, like getting confronted with the fact that he's a fictional character who holds up all these like hyper masculine ideals completely breaks his brain when he goes into the real world and like has to confront the fact that he's a construct and not a real person. Yeah. Um, and the parallels between last action hero and Barbie made me appreciate both films better in a double feature, um, which I can't say that uh, watching Barbie close to Oppenheimer did in any way whatsoever. So I don't know, maybe I would recommend that as a double feature more like Mm -hmm. not to be gender essentialist and like a full tilt binary on this, but like it felt like Barbie for boys in like a very like deliberate way where like it was doing kind of the same thing, but it was for like, little boy action hero marketing versus like little girl glamour doll marketing. Yeah. Uh, But it was the same idea from two different approaches. Barbie has the benefit of 30 years of gender discussion (laughs) under its belt to like, you know, kind of soften the more gender essentialist ideologies. But like the two of them, I think are in conversation with each other in an interesting way. Yeah. And it's just, it's just full of like 
people you recognize that maybe you didn't know in 1993. Like even the villain um, who's always been super creepy and upsetting to me, uh, Tom Noonan mm-hmm. also played <laughs> the Frankenstein character in uh, the monster squad. Another childhood favorite. We recently watched that movie, um, What Happened Was, uh-huh. where he goes on that awful date. And, like, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, I've just seen these people around more. So, like, I have all these extra layers of, like, movie knowledge that make the meta commentary of it richer yeah. every time I revisit it. I don't know. Lifetime favorite film that, like, never lets up every time I revisit it. It's always rewarding. And then finally, I revisited another one from my childhood recently that. Didn't hold up as well as what I remembered, but I'm bringing it up for a very specific reason. Uh, the Mystery Men from 1999. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it recently? I have not seen it recently. Okay. This is a superhero spoof film from when we were kids. And at the time, Batman, as helmed by Tim Burton and then Joel Schumacher, was like the definitive superheroes on film standard. And because... The Batman series was so successful. They greenlit all kinds of comic book movies, like just like tons and tons of stuff. Some of it actually made it to the screen. Like we saw X-Men and Blade and um, Hellboy and Daredevil and like things that just got kind of pushed through the pipeline because Batman was so successful. This movie is spoofing that era of comic book filmmaking which I feel is kind of redundant. It's kind of like scary movie making fun of Scream, which was already spoofing comic right. books. Because like by the time they made this, Joel Schumacher had already made Batman and Robin, which was like already a campy cartoon that already like returned to the Adam West Batman era mm-hmm. stuff. But this movie's full of Gen X comedians and much like Last Action Hero, like watching it again in my 30s, I'm like, I recognize every single face on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Like Janine Garofalo and Ben Stiller would have been familiar faces to me in the 90s, but now it's like Paul Rubens is in there. Kel Mitchell was like also a big deal when we were kids because of all that. Greg Kinnear plays like the actually successful Mm -hmm. superhero that's like corporate sponsored and has all these advertisements all over his like superhero uniform. And William H. Macy. William H. Macy is like very funny. And this is probably one of the first times I ever saw William H. Macy. So, like, going back and seeing this, like, legitimate actor play a superhero who treats crime fighting as, like, he's just punching the clock doing, like, a normal job mm-hmm. is a much funnier gag now because it's just, like, so much more information to, like, return to. I think the movie's fine. It's, like, a pretty good joke about these sort of, like, slacker superheroes who are not particularly good at their job and can't match Greg Kinnear's, like, handsome Chad energy as, like, the actual superhero. They're, like, kind of just picking up the pieces mm-hmm. that he can't um, achieve as one person who's corporately sponsored. The look of it, though, was, like, surprisingly good for a spoof of the Burton stuff. There's some cheap CGI, but it's also shot from these really overachieving Dutch angles and, like swooping camera shots it's very sugary and fun and like there are a lot of fart jokes and like exciting goofball stuff that's like for children specifically even though it's Mm. got that sarcastic gen x attitude and the reason i'm bringing it up is like i was like who directed this i didn't really get the vision it was like so over directed it felt like a music video director and i looked up the guy's name his name's kinka usher and he was famous for directing advertisements and this was like his like oh. attempt to break into feature filmmaking. Hmm. Um, so he directed specifically the Taco Bell Chihuahua ads and Classic. the uh, Got Milk 
you know, dairy industry advertisements. Oh, wow. Which are both like iconic. Yeah. And because he was the director, most people who were like cooler and like had some like comedy scene cred were kind of iffy about joining the film. And Janine Garofalo read the script and was like, oh, this is actually funny. And like could be something really exciting and cute. Uh, and like kind of talked Ben Stiller and like some other people she had worked with before and like got the the ball rolling, some momentum on the people joining this Gen X slacker comedy that looks like a superhero movie. Yeah. And I like the sort of over-directed, too much style Hollywood filmmaking stuff. Like the reason I loved Barbie is because it's too much. It's <laughs> overwhelming. And it's like, if you're going to throw that much money at the screen, I want to see it all. Mm-hmm. And I want to see like the high artifice. I want you to build some physical sets and like, Put me in a world that you constructed. Yeah. I think Mystery Men does the same thing. It's just like, at the time, that art form was not as respected. Like, a music video director and a commercial director were not valued in any way whatsoever. Yeah. So, I, th- I don't know. I thought it was, like, a fun watch visually. Yeah. I probably saw that, like, three times when I was growing up. I, I really liked Mystery Men, and specifically... I loved Janine Garofalo. I had no idea who she was. I just knew she was like the badass chick with the um, her father's skull on a bowling ball. And that was like incredible. Great I, superpower. Yeah. She's like the spokesperson for like Gen X apathy, right? Like yeah. Her sort of like sardonic, I'm too cool for this attitude really sets the tone for that movie. Yeah. We, we watched fairly recently a Janine Garofalo movie. Do you remember what it was, Sana? Was that the one with the where she was a, uh, on the radio show? Oh, the the truth about cats and dogs. Yeah, that's I haven't it. seen that. It's a it's a fine. I I like her though. Like anything yeah. from that era, you know, like reality bites and Romy yeah. Michelle's high school reunion. High school reunion, yeah. Clutch performance that like really gives that movie some like grit and bite and bitterness that it like really mm-hmm. needs because it's so sugary. Yeah, I I love her very much. I think she like makes mystery men cooler than it actually yeah, is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> ben Stiller though, like one of the least valuable players in that cast, <laughs> even though he's like the lead. Uh, yeah. He's just like bringing nothing to the table and you can feel her like kind of pulling the project together. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I brought that up because we are talking about advertisements today. <laughs> uh, specifically junk food ads. I don't think that was like the specific reasoning behind this episode, but we all picked movies that advertise fast food brands, junk food snacks, just like garbage that we put into our bodies that uh, the movies were telling us to go buy as soon as the credits roll at the end. And honestly, some of these films didn't make me want to go out and buy the product that they were selling. So they worked. It worked. And at least one of them made me want to never purchase the product again. (laughs) (laughs) There's a specific ego you didn't want to feed at the end of that. (laughs) I do think this is a good timing, though, because of Barbie, which is the number one movie in the country right now, and honestly might end up being the most successful film of the year, which is deserved, but I think is going to make movies worse. Yeah, the reason I had picked this topic was noticing the trend of like air about, you know, Nike shoes, the Blackberry movie. There's one about Tetris. Tetris. There's one about. Gran Turismo, the video game, which I saw an ad for in front of Barbie yesterday. Oh, I would also lump the uh, Tom Brady movie, 80 for Brady, as part of that. Oh, like, yeah. It's just movies about brands. And like that is the IP that's being sold to us right now. It's not even like a comic book we remember from when we were kids or like a TV show that's being revived. It's just straight up like 
products we've purchased that we might have a fond memory for because they've been around forever. Yeah, and something about that really, really bothers me. But then seeing how some of these movies have gotten good reviews and audiences seem to enjoy them, it feels like it feels like a trend that's not going away. Ooh, there's another one this week coming out that's about Beanie Babies. What? Oh, Just like an R-rated comedy about. Oh my! Remember God. Beanie Babies? <laughs> It's like the whole concept oh, of it. God. Uh, is I, that I, like I, a sausage party thing? I'm just imagining, trying to imagine what an R-rated Beanie Baby movie is. I don't know. Yeah. I don't plan to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I do think like Barbie will make this worse. Like we're seeing the tip of the iceberg here, even though it's like seven or eight movies that all came out this year. I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. But at least with Barbie, it seems like they've subverted it or have something clever to say. But it's like a Robert Oppenheimer level offense. Like, at what cost? Right. Have they done something good with this material? <laughs> so, in that way, a very apt pairing. Yeah. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Hi, kids. It's me, Ronald McDonald. And I'm on the set of my very first motion picture ever. It's a movie called Mac and Me. And it stars my little friend from outer space here. His name is Mac. And I want to introduce you to him. All right. So like we were talking about in the intro, there are a lot of product brand movies coming out lately. And it got me thinking, like, when did this trend start? And for some reason, I had in my mind that it started in the 80s because the 80s just feels like when big capitalism really like took over Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. But then when I was actually looking at like the history of product placement in films it pretty much goes back to like the beginning of filmmaking there was like british films in like the early 20th century that were pushing this brand of soap apparently so product placements have been a part of cinema almost since the beginning of cinema itself well it's like an art versus commerce thing in general like movies have to make money for you to make more movies it's just people used to hide it better. Yeah. Like it used to be like, oh, I'm making this for artistic reasons, not to like make Wall Street money. Mm-hmm. But like you can definitely tell in the 80s there was this shift where it's like corporate synergy yes. became like the number one goal. It's no longer like a half and half art versus commerce balance. It's like we're making money. Full on com- <laughs> yeah. And like the film to me that really exemplifies this, and it's from 1988, is a pretty notorious cult favorite. It always pops up on these lists of it's so bad, it's good. And it's Mac and Me, which there were rumors, I think, that this movie was actually funded by McDonald's. I don't think that was true. But reading about its production history, I think the producer used to work in marketing for McDonald's. So he kind of had an in with that company. And there was some weird overlap of McDonald's. kind of giving their brand name away for this film in hopes of like recouping some money. So I don't know. There was some shifty behind the scenes stuff, but Mac and me is essentially a ripoff of ET. ET came out, I think in like 82. Yeah, it's like six years later. Right. And I w- was reading an interview with uh, the producer where he basically said like, yeah, you know, we need to make this generation's ET. <laughs> it's like only, like I mean, it's six years later, but it feels really like 
like late in the game to be riding the wave of E.T. Conceivably, though, you could have been 13 years old when you watched E.T. and then been 19 years old and had a child, been a parent by the time this movie came out. I guess so. It's a significant amount of time in a child's life only. So yeah. like children who were in the E.T. like range would have been like aged out to watch Mac yeah. in theaters by the time this came out. And, and honestly, like I wasn't even born when E.T. was <laughs> was made. So Mac and me really should be like my generation's E.T. I think the problem right off the bat, as soon as the film starts, is E.T. had this thing where like he was pretty ugly to look at, but he was also cute and adorable and like you could fall in love with et the very first image from this film is of the aliens and they're horrifying they look like they have disease like liver spots all over them they have like a puckering anus for a mouth yeah that's really off-putting it really kind of like undulates especially there's a scene when he's looking lovingly in at the family and just kind of the butthole mouth is quivering in a disturbing way and they're making like cooing yeah gurgling sounds really really frightening stuff have you ever seen that et porno from the 90s it looks just like that yes that's exactly what i thought of tobacco the band tobacco has used footage of that for their music video yeah and that's exactly what this reminds me it's like a german et porno spoof yeah. But yeah, it's like just as disturbing and cheap as this corporate product. Like words really can't do ju- like you just have to see the way that that these things move to Yeah. Their heads are kind of like bobbling Bo- and, and their hips are wiggling. <laughs> so it's like really disturbing. We're like right off the bat at the be- you know, the beginning of the film is them on this barren desert-like planet and they're having to like suck up and drink water from like the rocks. Oh, it's not water, buddy. Well, <laughs> so they're fucked. This planet is fucked. They get sucked into this like space station thing that NASA has sent up there to, you know, do soil samples or whatever. And they all get sucked into it. They get brought back down to Earth. They break out of the research laboratory and the little Mac. Which Mac stands for, what is it like? Mysterious alien, alien creature. creature. But also McDonald's, right. which we'll get to. He's a little Mac. Yeah, right. He's a little Mac. <laughs> Not a big Mac. Not yet. And then it essentially follows the plot of E.T. He joins his family and he has these government operatives that are after him trying to you know, kidnap him or whatever for research. But a, a good chunk of the movie is just Mac... The boy who is in this wheelchair, it's kind of like, is he there? Is he not there? And there's really not any conflict at all in the first like hour of this film. It's just like Mac doing little mischievous things and the wheelchair boy being like, ah, there's an alien creature here. And his mom doesn't believe him. And I do want to interject one pivotal production detail. Is actually cast a kid who uses a wheelchair in real life. When yeah. I was going to get to that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about representation in films now. And it, it is admirable that they picked an actually like handicapped child to play this role. The only problem with that is that he is not an actor. 
This was his first film, and he can't act worth the shit. He's not the worst actor, though. His neighbor, another child actor, she's truly awful. Right. I was thinking that, too, but then he is better than the other child actor. So really, like, I mean, with the caliber that this movie went for, I mean, I think it's probably good that they cast him as opposed to, like, an equally bad child actor who isn't handicapped. We also have to distinguish the difference between like quality and enjoyment here. Like if these kids were competent actors, I don't think the movie would be as entertaining. Yeah. And I need it to be fun to watch the entire time. And like the inane off kilter acting decisions among these children, like (laughs) only increased the entertainment value in the shots in between when Mac and Mac's family were on camera, which is like the real gold. Yeah. So like they kept me strung along until we got back to the alien creatures who were like hilarious. Well, and I've seen this movie a few times. And what struck me watching it this time was just like kind of to your point, just odd choices. Yeah. And little stuff too. Like, I don't know when they're moving into their new house, the mother kind of admonishes one of the movers like, Hey, that's my stuff. And he's like, it's just the pads to move the furniture. And that's it. That's like the end of this. <laughs> Why include that? <laughs> Why include there's, And there's like at the end, there's like a thing with like horses. Like, why are the horses chasing out? Like little decisions where I'm like, I have no idea why you made this choice. Like so much of it feels just. And I think it's because the film was sort of written as they went along and there was very little pre-production. So it seems really thrown together at the last minute. I think this director makes interesting movies. Like, he also made Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. yeah. Which is on the list of, like, so bad it's good, quote-unquote, which is a, a moniker I reject the older I get. It's like, if I'm entertained and I remember what happened, and it's, like, vividly <laughs> novel, it's not so bad it's good. Like, that was an entertaining, fun movie. Right. I think this movie and Tammy and the T-Rex are both memorably entertaining. And I think it's those little odd character choices and little odd snippets of dialogue in between the weirder stuff that like keeps it fun and memorable. And there are some really memorable moments in here. The first one being, and I've seen it through the years, like Paul Rudd, when he goes on Conan, Mm -hmm. you know, actors are supposed to bring a clip of their latest film. And he always works in this clip for Mac and me of the boy in the wheelchair going down the side of a mountain and then just plummeting down at least a hundred feet into the water. Yeah. And then Max little puckered face. coming up. <laughs> Not the only time he's put in peril as the story goes along the child. Yeah. And they do make use of like the hilly rural area that they live in where this boy in the wheelchair is like going very fast down some of these hills <laughs> being chased by CIA agents and, um, or FBI or whatever. But anyway, that's the first like real over the top memorable moment. And to get to our topic today, there is a like central McDonald's dance sequence that is one of the most shameless corporate plugs you will ever see. And and, and it is so even though the film's 88, it feels like so 90s, just the attire and what they're dancing to. And like the idea that McDonald's is the central hub for all social activity in this town. And then you have Mac dressed up as a teddy bear. 
doing really bizarre dances. Hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Doing the soft shoe on the McDonald's counter. Every single second that Mac was in the bear suit, I was laughing. It's funny. It's, it's, it's really, really funny. good stuff. Having his big, like, blue eyes blinking through the little teddy bear, like, slits. It was just... Yeah, it, it was kind of endlessly wonderful. And they're passing him off as this like futuristic yeah. automaton teddy bear that like has sort of like AI type capabilities and robotics that mm-hmm. like allow him to do more than the normal toy. But he looks like the shabbiest, most fucked up, <laughs> beaten up teddy bear you've ever right. seen. Yeah, the suit is like like pretty loose on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like really odd. I, and I do love in that scene too, apparently uh, McDonald's asked that they not include Ronald McDonald. Fuck it, we gotta. And they were like, fuck it, we're gonna do it. And Ronald McDonald does make an yeah. appearance. He's a real person. And he's credited <laughs> as himself, I think. Wow, it's Ronald, Ronald McDonald, McDonald as, as himself. himself. Yeah, Incredible. <laughs> but I was surprised. I thought like McDonald's was really the kind of brand focus point. But Coca-Cola is really... Yeah. I took note of every time someone is drinking a Coke... And it's a lot. Like, if you were playing a drinking game to this, you would be wasted. And it is funny that, you know, these aliens come from this barren, uninhabitable planet, and they need water, and they get addicted to Coke. Because it's closer to the substance that comes out of the Earth that feeds them on their home planet. Right. They don't drink water. They drink a Coke-like substance. But Coke's better. They prefer Coke. They do prefer Coke. Because it's the best. And... (laughs) (laughs) But there are so many shots of like the main protagonist when his mom is making him lunch and there's just like a tray with like a sandwich and a Coke and there's just like Cokes with straws everywhere and just Coke, Coke, Coke. He uses a glass Coke bottle as like a vase for like a centerpiece in the family <laughs> right. table. Coke and also Skittles. Yeah. It's quite a bit. And I love Skittles and it actually did make me want to buy some Skittles. So it worked. I do want to point out too. The whole exercise of this episode is sort of like putting on the they live glasses and it's hard to go back to reality once you start looking for this stuff. Like, yeah, the McDonald's thing is the most pernicious example of this. It's it's the most egregious example of product placement in the movie. And it's the one you remember because there's a five minute dance party in the middle of the movie where everyone's like just repping McDonald's and they make sure to include the whole McDonald's staff in their uniforms dancing around with the children. Mm -hmm. It's all fun. looks like the coolest place on earth if you're a kid, you know? Yeah. But the Coke stuff is more of the regular example of how product placement is integrated into feature films. It's the like more subconscious inclusion of this stuff to where like it's become normalized and you don't even really notice it until you're looking for it. And like when you think back to E.T., that movie had a huge product placement for Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces, man. Yeah. Like, it's a huge part of the movie. I feel like Reese's Pieces is still, like, living off of that product placement. It's a great product. I don't want to, like, besmirch the name of Reese's Pieces. (laughs) It's very delicious. But, uh, yeah, it's like the movie E.T. is an art piece by someone who made a whole subgenre of films that are, like, kids on bikes, sci-fi adventures. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, it is part of Spielberg's entire filmography in a very central way. But it's also an advertisement for a very specific brand of candy. Yeah. And, like, it got away with it where people still respect it. 
this movie does not get away with it. It's like so blatant and in your face and overt that like it's at least more out in the open and honest about it. Or it's like we are paid to advertise this stuff. I'm not going to show you the back dealings and like what checks we cashed, but like someone gave us money and produ- production funds to place as many Coca-Cola bottles on the screen as we could. And like, yeah, that's something, there's something even more evil about the Coca-Cola stuff in the movie than there is about the McDonald's. Yeah. Well, and just the fact that the filmmakers kind of thought that this was going to be a big hit. And that, that what got a huge laugh out of me is at the very end of the film, as the alien family is driving away, and they now like wear suits and yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into okay, that. Yeah. But, there, but there's a bubble. that's like, you know, we'll be back or right. <laughs> Fucking won't. There's no real hook. It's just like, yeah, there, there's going to be another one. Is that a threat? Right. <laughs> right. But it's like the assumption that of course there's going to be a sequel. Like, of course this is going to make money and we're going to like make money for Coke and McDonald's. And they wanted to have like tie-ins with like, toys like put the mac and me toy and the happy meal which inspired mcdonald's relationship with disney for, until 2006 when yeah. they decided it's not cool to like incentivize children going to get junk food every day of the week to get a different yeah. toy from mcdonald's like this movie was the first one to come up with the idea that there would be like a tie-in with their happy meals yeah and i, I think there was also tie-in with like mick kids i was reading so sears is another Big yeah. Point in this movie, which it's insane that the mother can support as is a single mom, two children in like the valley in California on a salary working at Sears. That's Reagan's America, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but apparently, Sears carried Mick Kids, which McDonald's oh. had a like uh, child's clothing brand. And so, I don't know, that's where it gets nefarious. Where like Sears is partnered with McDonald's who's partnered with the Coca-Cola company. Yeah. And you really, again, like so many other movies do the same shit. It's less like in your face. And this movie is so egregious because it's right there out in the open. Well, and I haven't, I haven't seen E.T. in a long time. I saw it when I was a kid, but you know, just Spielberg in general, like he does have heartfelt storylines. Right. So there's a lot there. And then if you have this, product placement that is kind of subtle or subconscious it's like there's more other stuff to focus on and then it's like the reese's pieces can kind of run in the background whereas mac and me is missing the heart of the story but it has not only the Reese's Pieces equivalent, which is Coca-Cola, but like then you have Sears and then you have McDonald's. (laughs) It's like so much of the product placement without any of the heart to kind of distract you. And I think that's kind of why it feels, I mean, it is more egregious, but it also feels like uh, like an insult to art a little bit, even though it's extremely entertaining. I I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I struggle with like how to even rate this movie in my head because like, to me, it's very entertaining. It's not a. It's objectively a bad movie. Disagree. You disagree. <laughs> I I, th- I think it's bad. But like you said, I was extremely entertained. That means it's a good movie. Well, th- just because I mean I was entertained watching Dear Evan Hansen because of the abomination that it was. It doesn't mean it's a good movie, and that's sort of where Mac and me falls. Like this is an abomination. But a very entertaining one. 
but I don't know if entertaining is enough. I think with time, things like this become more interesting. Like if I had seen this movie as an adult in 1988, I might've been more upset by what it was doing. Cause it was like doing real world harm. Like Barbie, even like I loved Barbie. It was like one of the better movies I've seen all year. And at the same time in the back of my mind, I was like, it's so fucking weird that this like art piece is being created in a way that's like brand extension and also like brand rehabilitation. Yeah. But it's not marketed towards children. Macamie's even worse. It's like it's marketed towards children and making them feel good feelings about Coca-Cola and McDonald's. But like watching it 30 years later, 35 years later or whatever, it's like funnier that it did that. (laughs) It can't hurt anybody anymore. And like maybe I would have more of a moralistic stance about it as an adult back in the 80s. But now it's like. It's not going to trick any kids into thinking that McDonald's or Coke are cool. It's got this kind of absurdist streak to it where, like, there are certain controls in Hollywood that are supposed to make money for corporate brands and also put art in front of people to entertain them. And you're not supposed to see the mechanics of that. It's not supposed to sneak out into the wild that you see the, the sausage getting made. What we're talking about today are movies where it's like very overt and blatant out in the open that we can see what they're doing. And there's something that like over time becomes more and more interesting when that like sneaks out into the open. And like in this movie, I think it's genuinely funny and entertaining. And every time I saw Mac, I was completely delighted. (laughs) A very funny looking character. When he's in that in that shirt at the end, I thought that was very adorable. And it's also like an open acknowledgement of what we're doing all the time. And there's something like kind of refreshing about the honesty of the way this movie sells Coca-Cola versus the way that E.T. sells Reese's Pieces. Like there's something like just very like transgressive almost about being like out in the open. Like I want you to buy Coca-Cola. Right. When you well, I'm in bed I, with McDonald's. And yeah. I also, I found it extremely dystopian at the end where the alien family essentially adopts like American gender norms and consumption really quickly. Like yeah. within like a couple days of being on planet earth, they're like, yep, we're humans and we're capitalists now. And we love the system. We're going to ride. I will remind this. you, this was Reagan's America, a great time to be here for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and it really feels not to get, I don't want to get into like the politics. Of you it, have it's, to, it's Mac and me, but it feels really political in a way that I know it didn't intend, but Essentially, like, that 80s Reaganomics, kind of like the Make America Great Again. Like, if we could just go back to the 50s where everyone drove a T-Bird and, like, men wore suits and we just consumed Coke and ate hamburgers, like, that's Americana. And it's really in your face about that message. I also did get, like, kind of a flavor of immigration. You know, there's there's that scene where... Like they're in the market and like the Big Mac takes a gun and is just like wildly shooting things and the police are telling him to stand down and then all of the kids are like, he doesn't understand what you're saying. You know, that felt like, I don't like I think it's going too far to say commentary, but it felt like it was getting at that. And especially in the end, I mean, essentially they assimilated into American culture. Yeah, the commentary at the end is like, they have a home planet that they are offered free ride back to. Like, we will send you back to your Mac planet, but they decide to stay in America 
not Earth, America specifically, right. <laughs> because America has McDonald's and Coca-Cola. Yeah. It, but did you see their home planet? It kind of sucked. I mean, if it's McDonald's and Skittles and Coke yeah. versus like a barren wasteland, I would might choose like America. But if you're if you're an American Reaganite in the eighties, that's what the rest of the world looks like to you, you know? Like America's the uh the promised land and everywhere else is desolate third world yeah. wasteland. Also, California doesn't look all that different from their home planet. Probably because <laughs> it was filmed in California. But like, I, I guess my assumption in the beginning was that they were accustomed to the climate that they were in. You yeah. know, it's like it's like the world is a desert unless you have capitalism. So I will say uh, the way I was sort of thinking about these movies and the product placement is like, do I want the product after watching the film? And I will say, like, I was kind of craving McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because the film doesn't actually show any of the food. It's really just, like, showing how cool it is to even be in a McDonald's. But, like, especially with Skittles and the Coke. And the, I was like, man, yeah, I kind of want those things. So on that level, it, it was effective. I'd love to go break dance with all my friends at yeah. the McDonald's. Yeah. It sounds like a fun place to hang out on the I afternoon. I do vaguely remember a time in like elementary school where kids were having birthday parties at oh, McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Playland. Yeah, when they had the Playland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had a good time watching. It's it's a fun watch. Yeah. I think this is too thorny of a topic for the three of us to settle. I think we need to bring in an expert from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> so we've contacted Brittany Lombas to come in. and Emergency. <laughs> I, uh, I flew over here as soon as I heard. Yes. <laughs> as um as someone who has had multiple birthday parties at McDonald's play places. What? Nice. Yeah. Did you and get my a little brother paper did crown? too. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. McDonald's. And then I was also part of like the BK Kids Club. Whoa. Which also had a kid in a wheelchair in the uh, main group of children. Right. Why didn't they go with Burger King? Right. <laughs> I'm sure that was a debate because a lot of the movies we're talking about today had like multiple brands yeah. like, vying for yes. which one got to do what movie. Yeah. And PepsiCo and Coke seem like the only two companies that had any say so because uh, the rest of the movies we're talking about today were all in bed with PepsiCo. And this is the one Coca-Cola holdout in the group. Well, and it's funny too watching these like realizing how so few companies own oh yeah like how in bed all these corporations yeah. are with one another it's kind of disheartening yeah there's like what five big corporations that own everything yeah it, it blew my mind it's wild yeah. the franchise wars are coming to a close there's only a few combatants left on the field what did you think of mac and me Brittany? oh i liked it a lot hell yeah <laughs> um i've never watched it and i liked it a lot because it was just insane. It didn't make sense. I like that it didn't make sense. It was like this form of art that can be explained. The beings were very perverse looking. Yeah. Like they walked really weird. Like they were thrusting their pelvis yeah. as they walked. And they had butthole mouths. Yeah. And then yeah. they had like oh, yeah. phallic we, we fingers. The, the mouths for yeah. Sure. Like they just looked dirt like, you know, like dirty in like a you know, naughty sense. Which is insane. The fact that they thought that there were going to be like kids that wanted toys of like (laughs) what what child psychotic kids? Yeah, you would need like parental (laughs) advisory to buy this toy. The amount of just screaming in this movie, though, like if like I think of Mac and me, I don't automatically think of the aliens. I think of the little boy in the wheelchair just screaming and wheeling around at the fastest rate possible everywhere. And that little girl next door, 
with him screaming just they're they're always moving around super fast and it's it's insane well one thing we did not cover so far was the big showdown at the supermarket which you know the immigrant aliens are confronted by the policemen yeah they have guns and you know look odd which is enough in reagan's america to get you shot and mm-hmm. executed on site but uh also the protagonist is caught up in the crossfire in the crossfire and in the american cut of the film is exploded to death <laughs> by the gas leak explosion grocery store incident and dies on camera and is revived by coca-cola because it brings life to all children everywhere or the magic of coca-cola through max fingers but also in the Japanese <laughs> cut of the film, which I sent to everybody, there's a scene where the kid is shot in the chest with a gun by a police officer <laughs> that they uh, cut out of the, the movie, which is, I think, pretty consistent with the director of Taming the T-Rex putting R-rated violence into children's films and being told he can't do that and having that removed <laughs> in the edit. So yeah, I would love to see the restored Mac and Me cut. With the child getting shot. Same. I would pay good money just, for it. Just watching, though, his limp body in right. the wheelchair was pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> grotesque. Now you can get the awesome Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie on video cassette. And when you buy the movie, you'll also get a free Pizza Hut coupon book worth $20 on some of your Pizza Hut and Pepsi favorites. But hurry, this deal is awesome! So my pick was um, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film from 1990, directed by Steve Barron. Um, I really have never watched any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles content. Yeah, I've never read the comics. I've never seen a single movie. I've never seen the TV show. I vaguely, I knew that they were named after Italian Renaissance painters and that is it. I didn't know which one was which. So I came into this like absolutely stone cold clean slate. I did know, however, that the turtles love pizza. (laughs) Um, And that is like the crux of the product placement in this film. Um, So I think Brandon, you were talking about like competing corporate enterprises and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle legacy has been, it's kind of been a back and forth between Domino's and Pizza Hut, but it seems like it's mostly Pizza Hut, actually. Like, this was the Domino's movie, and then, like, there was this, I, I really don't know what this is, so maybe y'all know more about it than me, but the Coming Out of Their Shells tour. Oh, yes, I know a lot about this. <laughs> okay, where they were, like... They were reimagined as a hair metal band. Yeah, they toured the United States and parts of Mexico as a, you know, live action version of this movie. Yeah. Now, they did not have the same animatronic suits. They made them look nice and professional. Yeah. It was a little more grotesque and like, you know, know, uh, ramshod. But it was a touring concert that there was a VHS release of. Yeah. And that was very much a Pizza Hut deal even this movie pizza hut has their stamp all over it like domino's had a moment and pizza hut just completely subsumed them yeah so i think the interesting thing about the teenage mutant ninja turtles in terms of advertising is that they they were like used as advertising to like they were in commercials for pizza hut I, i mean i think it's like when you create a like kind of synergistic product that you can use to attract people to the theaters and then also to sell your product outside of like 
a film or a TV show. I did watch a quick crash course documentary on the history of this product, which has been my entire life, like something I'm mesmerized <laughs> by in a way that I cannot explain. Yeah. I watched this movie from 2014 called Turtle Power, mm-hmm. the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. Um, so if you want a 90 minute crash course, it does not actually illuminate anything about <laughs> why it's successful. It's like the same reasons I'm excited about the Ninja Turtles. And I, I continue to be this way. There's a new movie coming out in like two weeks. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I will be there opening day. <laughs> and it's just like, 90 minutes this documentary of people being like there's just something about it yeah you know, people are just like drawn to it and we right. can't explain it the lubich touch yeah per- right yeah, the, turtle yeah, touch. the turtle touch <laughs> uh that's the turtle power uh so they started as a underground comic in the time of like yeah. the robert crumb black and white alt comics that were like kind of making fun of marvel and dc and uh going through this more like zine culture underground feel and it was just a joke. Like they were specifically spoofing daredevil comics in particular. Um, like in daredevil, the villain is called the hand and yeah. in Ninja turtles. They're called the foot. the foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like jokes about superhero comics. And it's like, how ridiculous would it be if there were these like Ninja turtles who are notoriously slow, Yeah, uh, <laughs> but instead they were swift. Right. Like, that's the whole joke. And for some reason it just took off and became a cartoon and then the reason they were able to sell the cartoon was because it had so much potential as toys. So like even the original corporate explosion of this, where it was just like suddenly on every television set in America was that it could sell a product. Mm-hmm. Like it was so apt to making toys that little kids were mesmerized by in a way that no one could really explain why. No. And I do remember like being a very young kid and my like mom or some parental figure would like, take me to Toys R Us and pick out the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing. I had the big, I had the van and I had the big dome and it was like, it got me very giddy as like a little boy. But yeah, I don't know why I was so into it. I just was, you know, as like a small kid. And it still persists now. Like little kids now are still buying Ninja Turtle toys. They still have like a massive section in the toy aisles. Yeah. It's hard to explain. And like the documentary did not open my eyes in any way. It was just like, yeah, it just sells. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's because like they're very colorful and they're they're exciting. They have like a cool way of being like, this is really cool and gross at the same time with a lot of the accessories that come with them. Like I still have a crap ton of my Ninja Turtle action figures, but they had all like different you know be like here's like a version of them with like ancient armor and here's like a version yeah. of them on all skateboards and the one i remember the most i can't remember the villain's name but it was a brain in the stomach of this like giant dude krang krang yeah <laughs> of course oh my yeah <laughs> but like you know like it was so gross but it was so freaking cool and everything was neon and they all had like a fun feature that they could do that is something I, I will speak to the behalf of like 90s content figures. and also the new version of this movie is like they understand that kids love grotesque stuff. Yeah. Like just like farts and sewer smell and disgusting little creatures <laughs> right. crawling out of the dark. Like kids love creepy, crawly, nasty things. Yeah. So All like that kind of explains it. But I also think it's sort of a confluence of like it is part stoner culture. Yeah. Like 
you know, they're obviously like high. They love pizza. They go surfing. So it's sort of that like dude bro thing going on. But also the martial arts aspect and they're very like disciplined. I don't know. And like the weird mix of like gross sewer stuff with the cartoonishness. So it's some weird amalgamation of all these different little pockets of things that just like works. There's just something yeah. about just it. Just something about <laughs> it. I don't know. Why would you would want your pizza brand associated with something so gross and odd and harder to find? I don't know, but <laughs> Yeah. Cuz it's turtles sells. in a sewer. Yeah. Well, and the uh, the pizzas in this movie is also gross. Yeah. Which is pizzas it's look like awful. very slimy and gray and strange. Um so anyway, this is the first Ninja Turtles movie. I I'm sure a lot of people know what what you know happens in this but, but splinter is this mutant rat he has, he is uh the rat of a former um ninja master and he <laughs> he he practiced his moves as he was fighting and the, there's this little scene of like little rat splinter practicing uh martial arts and it's very cute uh and was kind of dipped in toxic sludge in the sewers of new york these four baby turtles were also dipped in this sludge and they mutated as well. And he's like created this cadre of ninjas. And there is this crime ring led by this like evil ninja master shredder. And it's this like huge crime ring of like teenagers, like New York teens who are just stealing things left and right, like stealing the TV that a woman is watching on her porch, like just blatant, like, open air and they've created this like very hip subterranean like skate park where you can play video games all day yeah (laughs) right it's very like island of um uh like lost boys from pinocchio or oliver and shut up and drink your gin yeah right (laughs) (laughs) so the story starts with april o'neill who's a reporter reporting on the crime and she's kind of like suspects that the foot is (laughs) responsible Uh, Some teens try to mug her and the Ninja Turtles subdue them and uh, she's being pursued further by the foot. Eventually she is like um, Raphael, I believe, um, takes her down into the sewers to protect her. And anyway, I'm not going to get into the. I do want to pause, though, because you you were like kind of caught up on Raphael just for a second. Right. So as someone who's new to this property, this IP. Do you feel like you have a good handle on the different personalities and color coding? And I for sure, yeah, like they all look the same, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so. Like Michelangelo is like the fun kind of. He's the one that loves pizza, Cowabunga, this, dude. Yeah. yeah, and then Leonardo is like the uh, leader of the crew, and he's this kind of like straight laced, more tactical. Or I don't know. He's the most nobly committed to the cause. He's got his head on straight. Yeah, right. yeah. Is he the one that's voiced by? What one of them was voiced by uh, cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch? I gotta be real with you. I've never looked into who voiced who on this because they're just real people to me. They all, yeah, yeah. They all, they all make cameos at some point in the movie. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Raphael's definitely the hothead. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but then I, I guess the one that I couldn't really pin down is Donatello. He's like a nerd. Okay, he's like he is actually like the technical like smarty pants character. Yeah, 
Which I guess overlaps so much with Leonardo that it doesn't really like mean much. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he was like the least like Ninja Turtle. Like, you know, thinking of like action figures and like Yeah, that's the one like all your friends have like picked the other ones. Right, if you're, you're playing Ninja Donatello. Turtles and yeah, you suck, like, you're going to ga- be Donatello. Yeah, I remember in the game, nobody wanted to be Donatello. <laughs> you always yeah. want to be Michelangelo or Raphael. Yeah, I liked Donatello. I think I got stuck with him a lot with, as a kid and I just yeah. owned it. I was like, yeah, he's my favorite. Cause and I that's the one Corey Feldman <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was Michelangelo. Was it Corey Feldman who did? No, I think Corey Feldman voices Donatello. Donatello. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, these are real people. I don't know what you mean by voice. Or <laughs> oh, right. These are my sorry. best right. friends we're talking about here. My turtles. Um, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't really have any um, knowledge of any of them, but I like that Donatello was interested in cars and wanted to like hang out with Casey Jones. Who's Casey Jones, Bertel? <laughs> Casey Jones is, so he, he just seems like he, he's like this vigilante kind of who teams up with the turtles and it, it's kind of just like a part of their crew with april o'neill i don't know they they form this kind of like found family situation which is really lovely he's like a second hothead they threw into yeah. the crew like who's I don't know. like he's like kind of also kind of like nasty and and he he is the same actor that plays the DJ in um, Exotica and has that same kind of weird sex energy that, yeah. I don't know, I really like that guy. Him, um, and, him and April had some chemistry, yeah. though. Oh, that massage where they're yes. like kind of right. fighting each other is kind of hot. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so... <laughs> it's true. It's I true. mean, it's, yeah, I it said is. it, but it's true. It's, no, it is true. Um, eventually, Splinter the Rat gets kidnapped by the foot, and the Ninja Turtles have to, like, they have to come together to to free him from this band yeah. of evil ninjas. So, I don't know. I'm being a little flippant about the plot, but I have to say that this movie was so much better than I expected, than it has any right to be. Like, there's some actually interesting camera work too like there's the the shot where shredder is introduced for the first time like all of these boys and there's like like really like hundreds of boys down in the sewers in new york and they're like uh skateboarding and like smoking and playing cards and then shredder comes in and it's this like shot from above this there's this long shadow cast before him and he's just slowly walking towards this like horde of boys and then the camera kind of swoops down so that it's like like a wide angle on the back of his helmet and then you can see all of these like a coliseum of boys just staring at him in silence and it i i don't know i thought it was really effective um there's another scene where the ninja turtles call shredder or sorry they call splinter forth through meditation and splinter tells them that he loves them and they're all like kind of devastated and crying and holding each other and i like i teared up i don't know like for a movie that is kind of in the same realm of like a vehicle for selling toys and for selling like i don't know junk food and other products like i i thought that it had a lot of heart and a lot of like care towards the craft when splinter is chained up and he's just like so wet looking he looks like he's been beaten within an inch of his life i was like god damn like it's a dark movie yeah 
and it's dark in how grimy it looks. Yeah. Too. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Master Splinter. And it's hard. Yeah, he's just such a good, good rat. I know. I was just like, please rescue this old man. Like, he can't <laughs> go out like this. Old man rat. <laughs> Worth noting, too, that he is the one character that's full animatronic puppet and doesn't have a person inside of the suit. The puppetry in this movie yeah. is freaking amazing. And, like, it's the Jim Henson yeah. company mm-hmm. that did him. I think that's the one saving grace of this film that keeps it from being on the so bad it's good list alongside mac and me and garbage pail kids and troll two or whatever like (laughs) the jim henson creature shop puppetry in this film is so beautifully rendered and like expressive Mm -hmm. these feel like real characters i grew up knowing them as people so like you know (laughs) it's hard for me to like even step back and be like that's a a character voiced by an actor i know like it it just is a person to me yeah like the magic has not been broken yet. Apparently on set they had a lot of problems with the uh robots just doing things they weren't supposed to, like an eye would bug out or like a face would twitch. <laughs> which I guess is part of the Turtle Power documentary I would recommend revisiting just yeah, for that part. In that. But I think that's what saves this movie from being a laughing stock. Yeah. That's what allows you to admire the dark cinematography and like the sort of careful emotional template of it as well as like the fact that those turtles look good, no one right. would have given this movie any attention or grace whatsoever if it weren't for that. And I do think, too, though, it has, and it's kind of like a, a very basic kind of samurai story, but yeah, it's a good story. It's like, you know, their master is kidnapped by this gang and they need to retreat to the countryside to repair themselves and get ready for battle. It's very, like, I don't know, you know, seven samurai prototypical kind of story but it it's good and that's like what i was saying with mac and me like mac and me is it's fun but the story sucks it's a bad et what are you talking about it's a bad story no the way (laughs) the plot progresses is really bad they just copied et there's like no difference it's so bad no this like teenage mutant ninja turtles has a pretty solidly paced plot and as character develop it's like a actually a good film not just like, you know, something to laugh at or have a good time with. Like, I think it's legitimately a well I think if made, Mac in Mac film. and Me was as well constructed as the Ninja Turtles, it would not be the laughing stock it is. Maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> we do have to talk about the two scenes that have brought us this topic though. Because there are two pizza scenes in the film mm-hmm. that are so heavily branded towards one particular pizza brand <laughs> and have sparked a war between the only two brands that will deliver pizza anywhere in america yeah Yeah, the first scene is uh the the or michelangelo orders dominoes (laughs) and i think there's it includes part of the like half an hour or less three dollars they were yeah they were that was part of their marketing for a while oh we also should disclose that uh james should oh um, that's true we do have a conflict of interest yeah my my mom did just make 40 years as, as a domino's driver how long have you been driving there (laughs) <laughs> i i mean i was a driver for a while too but not 40 years That's right? amazing yeah good for her um but yeah they do have um a pizza delivery very early on where w- they just kind of like drop the pizza through the grate and the guy is like he's docked because he's two minutes late he doesn't fulfill his dominoes these turtles do not tip well no <laughs> no well, they are teens you know yeah 
And he delivers the pizza vertically through the yeah, grate. Yeah, so it's just for the quality of the pizza. And then the yeah. pizza looked goopy, yeah. and it looked like it had, what, like some spinach and... Do you, uh, just like a gross pizza. You think there's going to be like Domino's product placement in the new movie? No, because the, Domino's has lost the franchise yeah. war. Pizza Hut has taken over. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So in this movie, Domino's won the bidding war that mm-hmm. none of us have any legal privy to to know what happened. But like they got the product placement where the guy delivers the pizza to the Ninja Turtles. Very clutch. Especially like for little kids watching this, like. If they're two minutes late, I get a free pizza. That's incredible. <laughs> they have lost the war, though. Yeah. They won the battle. But, like, Pizza Hut has since taken over this branding where, like, there have been at least five to seven other Ninja Turtle movies that have come out since this movie was released in 1990. Mm-hmm. And in no movie is any brand used on screen. There might be a scene where furniture is made out of old pizza boxes yeah. in the Michael Bay movies. I can't remember which brand had, had it's that Pizza one. Hut. Pizza Hut. Yeah. Pizza Hut in general, though, has this corporate tie-in yeah. with the Ninja Turtles product where like every time a new Ninja Turtles movie comes out, there are multiple commercials, coupons. It used to be VHS tapes that you would like get with a certain number of pizzas ordered. Mm-hmm. Like They were so closely tied with this brand that it's like disorienting to see a Domino's pizza yeah. in the film. <laughs> yeah, I think at the tw- for the 2014 film there was there were like different pizzas with particular toppings per turtle, like each guy had their own. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. I saw an an advertisement the other day that was the new animated turtles and the one that's coming out next week that they were all chowing down a Pizza Hut. Yeah. You likely will not see Pizza Hut in the film itself, but you will be thinking about Pizza Hut when they <laughs> eat pizza. Yeah. And the second Ninja Turtles movie, Secret of the Ooze, had the same thing going on where, like, in the movie itself, it opens with this montage of all New Yorkers across the city eating different slices of pizza from different New York stops. Mm -hmm. It's like it's more of this authentic, like, street pizza, like, by the slice feel. That shit does not matter, though. Like, what matters is the fact that, like, for months, kids who were looking forward to that movie were fed advertisements at Pizza Hut. Um, and also these like tie-ins where like if, if you bring in your all A's report card, <laughs> you get a free personal, you pan. get a free personal pan. That's right. Uh, and you know, they had similar tie-ins where you get like a Ninja Turtles VHS tape that had, like two episodes of the show and like multiple Pizza Hut advertisements on the cassette. Like they just locked that shit down. They allowed, mm-hmm. they allowed Domino's one brief victory. They just like <laughs> since have owned the battlefield ever since. Yeah. And again, like Domino's won that battle, but the Domino's pizza in this movie looks disgusting. Looks bad. Yeah. In the first scene, it looks bad. In the second scene, it's been sitting out. So they, they have to like lay the pizza to rest. They sing taps for, like a military <laughs> funeral. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. It's like, it's not great advertising for Domino's. I wish they would have had a better like the cartoons always the pizza look phenomenal because they would pull it up and the cheese would yeah, just ooh, that'd be. like fall down but they mm-hmm. never had a scene like that where they would just lift up a slice yeah. and it was like the that cheesy cheese. yeah the strings that's what this movie was missing yeah the one gag where leonardo slices all the pizza with his samurai sword is pretty cute <laughs> yeah. he like, tosses it in the air slices it and it lands on everyone's plate isn't there, there also a scene where Casey Jones is chopping yeah, vegetables with a katana? With a katana? Yeah. That's a nice touch. What yeah. a good knife work in here. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think of Ninja Turtles as a general advertisement for pizza as a concept. Yeah. Right. 
That's how I think about it. But it has not panned out that way. It is personal panned in a very specific <laughs> brand's direction over time, which is fascinating. Like the economics of continuing to make Ninja Turtles movies over time ne- necessitates that like one brand is chosen. And like even down to the Ninja Turtles video game, which we were talking about earlier, there's like there's like an arcade game that used to be just around when we would go out to different oh, yeah. restaurants. Multiple levels of that video game feature Pizza Hut restaurants. So like even if it's subliminal, it's more of that like E.T. Reese's Pieces style advertising where like it's not in your face and like overt, but like you are supposed to associate the Ninja Turtles with Pizza Hut over yeah. time. But but like to what you were saying, when I watched the film, I did get a craving for pizza, but it wasn't specific to Domino's or Pizza Hut. It was just like, oh, I want some pizza. Yeah. You know I mean, like that's how it's associated in my head. Yeah. And I think even if it doesn't create a craving, like the brand recognition, if you are in the mood for pizza, like the kinds of advertising, like the Coke and Mac and me, and I mean, maybe not Domino's in this movie, but Pizza Hut and the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, like if that has kind of like pervaded your mind, you'll just pick that one. You know, right. that's the one that's like will occur to you to choose like i think that is kind of the best form of advert or the most effective form of advertising what is our like go-to pizza brand in new orleans right now i used to like rely on mid-city pizza so much that when they left mid-city yeah so now it's only mid-city pizza uptown what an absurd farce (laughs) like i don't know what to do anymore yeah i uh i still do pizza delicious that i got that delivered the other day and it was awesome yep it's very very good good. also z's Pizza Z's is really good. I've never had that. They do Very not deliver, good. but they not they're deliver. that's what I need. I need yeah. someone to bring me pizza. Yeah, it's Oscar's night. I've got cheap champagne. I need pizza at my house. Yeah. but I don't know, for like um, the last pay per view wrestling pay per view you came over for, we got some Domino's pizza. Fucking and it, delicious! And it hit yeah. the spot, man. <laughs> I have to say, I was always a Pizza Hut uh, girl I, when I was I, growing up. I have to be Domino's because like so yeah. much of my family is in. I think world, current so. Domino's after their ad where they came out were like, we're sorry. We it was bad real pizza. bad. It was it's bad. better now. We didn't mean to make bad pizza. <laughs> I feel so bad. Yeah. yeah. Ever since then, it's been good. Yeah. I don't know. Really? Yeah, they really I stepped up their game. I think that's the general consensus in the <laughs> Domino's community. Like that was some brilliant marketing. <laughs> Just for a brand to openly acknowledge yeah. like, yeah, we really sucked right. before. We served you such bad pizza. <laughs> but it's better now. <laughs> so... McDonald's has an ongoing brand relationship with Coca-Cola and Domino's is not owned by one of the two major cola brands, but Pizza Hut is. Pizza Hut is owned by PepsiCo. So every time I eat pizza, I want a Pepsi and every time I drink a Pepsi, I want pizza because of that. What a success. Mm. (laughs) It works. Like just thinking of Pepsi, I automatically see like cheese pizza behind it. Like, it's happening now. But but that's (laughs) also weird, too, with, like, so PepsiCo, they also own, like, KFC, Taco Bell. Because if you go to any- And Frito-Lay. And Frito-Lay. If you go to any of those restaurants, only Pepsi products on the fountain drinks. What kind of soda do you get with uh, Domino's? It's Coke. Okay. So they have a Coke deal. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So the rest of the episode- including Ninja Turtles really is like owned by PepsiCo. Yep. Including Taco Bell, which you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. which is heavily advertised in Demolition Man from 1993. (laughs) 
I would put it up there with Ninja Turtles as a movie that's like better than you would expect it yeah, to be. Yeah, totally. This is also in the same vein as what I was just saying with Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger, except instead of Arnie, it is Sylvester Stallone kind of making fun of his place in the world as a action star. Uh, it's set in the far off future of 2032. <laughs> Just which not that far we're off. We're closer to that than we are when this movie was made, which is 30 years ago, 93. Uh, it's celebrating a 30-year anniversary this year, uh, which has been marked by a Los Angeles pop-up restaurant of Taco Bell uh, <laughs> celebrating the anniversary of the movie where they recreate the Taco Bell scene so, from uh, Demolition Man. Yeah. And much like Ninja Turtles, like toy tie-ins, and Ninja Turtles also had pop music tie-ins where like in the first one they advertised MC Hammer and mm-hmm. the second one they advertised Vanilla Ice even more heavily. <laughs> yeah. Um Demolition Man also has multiple like corporate interests as well. And the, the more you like look for this stuff, the more pervasive it is. But Taco Bell reigns supreme in this movie. This is like the number one brand advertised in the film. Um in the future all crime and sex has been eradicated from public life. Uh, Sandra Bullock plays this cop who's obsessed with the 20th century as a nostalgic time before her own life that she looks back to fondly. And she looks back to the crime and sex that she missed out on before she was born. Uh, Personified by Sylvester Stallone, who (laughs) is a super cop who was in a death spiral with uh, the super villain played by Wesley Snipes. Uh, styled in this movie to look like Dennis Rodman, which is what you would think. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out Dennis Rodman stole his whole look from this movie. As soon as it was, as it was over, Wesley Snipes dyed his hair back to its normal color. And Dennis Rodman was like, that's my look. And committed <laughs> he just like ran so with hard. it. When I remember seeing, there was a few Dennis Rodman movies he did with like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, and there was like a period of time where Dennis Rodman was kind of a legitimate action star. I miss like the Dennis Rodman in pop culture years. Like when yeah. he married Carmen Electra and they had that bizarre relationship. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I love him in general. But yeah, it does seem like Wesley Snipes is trying to do Dennis Rodman, but I guess he came He invented first. Dennis Rodman right. in this movie. Uh, well, <laughs> I created you. So this is in the 90s super prison era of stuff like Con Air and, uh, you know, The Rock and stuff like that. Like there's there's a bunch of Running Man, I think, has that too, where it's just like these futuristic prisons that are holding these like criminals that have like gone off the rails and can't be held by the normal justice system. Uh, This one is a cryo prison where uh, Wesley Snipes holds a bunch of people hostage and tricks Sylvester Stallone into killing them all in this giant explosion very much playing on the L.A. is on fire, L.A. riots mm-hmm. era. Uh, one of the opening shots of the movie is of the Hollywood sign literally on fire. Great, yeah. great opening shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're frozen for 40 years or whatever until 2032. And then they're brought back into this life where all crime and sex has been removed from society. And like they're no longer have a place in the world. Every time they curse... <laughs> A little box on the wall prints out a ticket uh, that they have to pay uh, to the state because cursing is even too much for people. The sound of that little um, ticket generator is used to great comedic effect when the Sylvester Stallone comes on screen because he's just swearing constantly. Every other word. Yeah. 
It's good stuff. And he has to um, curse more than other people because he wants to create toilet paper yeah. for himself. <laughs> because in the future, wiping your ass has also been made illegal. <laughs> yeah. Instead, they use a confusing system of three seashells right. that he can't quite figure out. It's never explained. I really. think it's funnier so than it's not. Right. Uh, worth noting that uh, this is an over-the-top action film from the 90s, but it's also a satire of the genre written by Daniel Waters, who also wrote Heathers, which is like one of the cool. great satires of the era. So it is Stallone kind of making fun of his legacy the same way Ar- Arnie is in Last Action Hero. Uh, they bring back Wesley Snipes first from Cryo Freeze, and he... Uh, Starts murking cops immediately. Just starts killing police officers. Well, it's very easy. Yeah, no one knows how to deal with crime because it's been gone from society for so long. He's like the ultimate villain, too. Like, all his witty remarks, like, every line that he has is, like, the most villainous thing you'll ever hear. Yeah, he'll say, like, Simon says, like, die from my bullets or something. Like, immediately unload on them. And then uh, they bring back Sylvester Stallone because they're ill-equipped to stop such a super villain. They need a super cop from the past as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the movie kind of unravels the way you would expect it to. They kind of just chase each other around, shooting these um, initially guns they steal from a museum from back when we used to have guns, to shooting these, like, super lasers from the future that have very vaguely defined powers. But, uh, I don't know. It just escalates from there. But... One of the major touchstones of the movie is that Taco Bell, in particular, has won the franchise wars, (laughs) and all restaurants in the world in the future are controlled by Taco Bell as a corporate entity. So if you want to go to fine dining and have a five-course tasting menu meal, you're eating that at Taco Bell, because that's the only restaurant that's around. Uh, So like the centerpiece of that is everyone sitting down for like a tuxedo and gown dinner at a Taco Bell restaurant. Uh, one of the other corporate tie-ins is as they're driving around, all the radio stations have been replaced by jingles for junk food ads. So, like, there's a uh, Armor Hot Dogs scene where everyone's singing along to the radio as if it's, like, an ABBA song or like something. Benjamin Bratt and, like, Sandra Bullock. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And then there's also another scene where they go to the Taco Bell and have their nice meal, and someone's playing the the piano in the lobby in the, the sort of, like, ambient fine dining way but he's singing the green giant um please <laughs> jingle and the whole movie's just very funny and over the top and i think making fun of corporate advertising yeah. and how like pervasive it is but it's also participating in it and there was a real bidding war for who got to have this movie and mcdonald's and burger king turned it down because they did not want to be in an r-rated film the movie's not very sexy or violent really it's like the our rating is from the language mostly which is weird because it actually felt like a pg-13 movie that should be kind of for like teenage boys but it's R, not like you said not for violence just for a lot of cursing which Mm -hmm. feels like you could easily work around that that means they thought that like getting a ticket every time you curse gag was so funny that it had to be in the movie and they do go to the well quite often yeah Yeah. (laughs) But it's also, while making fun of that, like actively participating in it. And like, when you think of this movie, Taco Bell is one of the first words that just like appear in your mind. Like there's like a Pavlovian association with the film where like it advertises Taco Bell actively, even if it, though it's making fun of that kind of corporate synergy. Like Taco right. Bell with no seasoning. So wild. And there are other films that have done that sat- satire by just creating a completely different company but you you can like 
connect that company to a real thing like idiocracy with brondo is like okay that's gatorade basically yeah and sorry to bother you has their amazon um equivalent i would think josie and the pussycats from the 90s Mm -hmm. um has tons of corporate tie-ins but i think of mcdonald's when i think of that movie because this is one really over the top scene where tara reed is taking a shower and the tiles in the shower have been replaced by the mcdonald's arches (laughs) which i found very egregious and funny um so i don't know is this movie smart enough to justify that kind of like advertisement does it really matter that Taco Bell is such a featured advertisement in this. I, I mean, I think it's really clever. Like, I kept thinking of it on maybe not quite the same level, but approaching like Starship Troopers level of satire. And I think a lot of its dystopian characteristics have proven to be exactly the world that we essentially are living in currently. I mean, there's like talking about the self driving car thing there's a joke where uh they say that arnold schwarzenegger was president and had a presidential library that was before he ran for governor before he ran for governor if only they knew (laughs) and like the advertisement jingles as like their own form of entertainment a lot in this movie is pretty on point with like the current landscape so i don't know like i thought that was pretty cool that it I think it kind of saw where all this stuff was headed. So I give it props for that. I think you're right, but it also has like a very libertarian point of yeah. view in the world. It's politics are weird to sort out. It's definitely anti-authoritarianism. Yeah, I could see it being used to be like, this is what happens. They're going to take away all our guns. They want us right. to be so PC yeah, that we exactly. just won't curse anymore. But, but I took it as kind of like a celebration because I know in the 90s there was like pushback to all the violent 80s movies and you know with the la riots and stuff like oh our culture is so violent and especially the sandra bullock character who loves she's got like a poster of like lethal weapon and it seemed to be like (laughs) celebrating yeah celebrating like these this is good like yes this is american culture and we love our violent shoot 'em up movies but like what do you want you want like a sterilized world where there's no bad language and no sex and no blow stuff up so it seemed like a celebration of those like kind of 80s 90s kind of action movies but yeah with the politics like i don't know like it's kind of hard to parse out like i think starship troopers for instance is very clear about it's just anti-fascist anti-fat and this is like anti-authoritarianism but also it's anti-PC. PC yeah. and which anti the made, left. Right now would be anti-woke, which, you know, there's a whole reactionary subcult to that. Yeah, and this, like, the way that people are against, like, de- you know, defund the police. The movie seems to be saying, like, well, you need police because there's violent maniacs. Right, you need weaponized police because they didn't really have, like, guns or anything. Right, exactly. And, and, like, right, whenever they were trying to stop them. What's his name again? The Maniac. Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. It was like, yeah. I don't know like character Simon names. something. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were trying to stop him, and then they're like, all right, what do I do? And it's like, ask him to stop. Right. And then, oh, ask him and say, or else at the end. And it just made me think of like, oh, God, like this would, there's, there's folks here that would love this, like nowadays that would fucking love this movie for that kind of reason. Right. But I fucking love this movie so much. It's funny. But like not for that reason. So it's weird. I mean, and one thing that I think is interesting is 
the I mean, it's also anti-authoritarian in how these prisoners are treated because like, I mean, the reason that kind of like disciplinary punishment and like like the need for guns for self-protection is that all of these dangerous criminals are frozen permanently like wesley snipes was altered very intentionally like if the prison system had been working as it was intended to work then all of these people would be locked up for the rest of their lives so it's like it it is partially like defund the police but it's essentially like neuter any kind of violent impulse period and that is like like i am opposed to the prison system that they have in this movie you know so i i think it is an interesting like political landscape it's it's not a clear cut like yeah it's not I, I one-sided think, and i think that makes it more interesting to think like as i'm watching it like trying to parse out yeah. the politics made it a pretty engaging on besides like that it is very funny and entertaining and all that i don't think that effect was intentional though like i think the dennis leary as the revolutionary counterpoint is the spokesman for the movie's politics where like he's like well, i want to eat a red steak i want to smoke yeah. cigarettes i want to cuss i want to scratch my balls in public and not I, be told that's wrong but i disagree with that just because the end of the movie stallone basically says like there's got to be a middle ground. Oh, like, what a what a fucking cowardly way out. <laughs> but I think that is actually the politics. It's not saying like Dennis Leary is correct and like that's yeah. where the movie's coming. It's saying like that laissez-faire, yeah, libertarian, everyone should just be able to do what they want if you're not bothering anybody versus like government control and regulation. And Stallone, who I think is the stand-in for what the movie actually feels is just saying like yeah there's some middle ground here which is like a cop-out and maybe now that like more mainstream rhetoric has gone like full leftist and not like halfway liberal like maybe that is a more legitimate stance for the movie to take where it's like these sort of like liberal this is good for you policies that like sort of nanny state Mm -hmm. style of governance like deserves more pushback so the movie like actually does come out more on top yeah. But like that stuff fluctuates so much. It's it's a pendulum. Like we swing way left, we swing way right as society goes on. We're not left enough to save the planet from falling apart right now, so maybe we'll never swing right again before we all die in this like <laughs> heat index L that we're in right now, but yeah, I I think it has gotten more interesting with time maybe. Like as a reactionary movie in the early 90s where it's like arguing for the value of these brash cops who ignore the rules to get the job done. Yeah. That would have been what it was arguing for at the time. And yeah, maybe it like ends on more of a middle ground area towards the end. That's easier to get on board with. This is why we need a modern day Demolition Man movie. <laughs> I want to know what that would be. I mean, Idiocracy is pretty close, yeah. but it's also another um, libertarian. libertarian. Yeah. Yeah. Sylvester yeah. Stallone say there was like a second one in the works, like in 2020 or something Gotta like that. Got to get Taco Bell to bring the funds through. <laughs> Wait, that check's not cleared yet. <laughs> I do. I have to bring up my one main issue with this movie that no one has touched on yet is first of all, Sandra Bullock is fantastic and very funny. Yeah. She is very funny and likable and sweet and adorable. One of her first roles. Yeah. Major roles anyway. But my main issue with this movie, I was so unclear about the relationship because there's this simmering plot of like 
Sylvester Stallone's daughter. Where is his <laughs> daughter? You know, they say that she is alive and around, and they make hints of like, oh, you can check the database, find out where she is. But they also kind of drop hints at Sandra Bullock, to me, was like, probably his daughter. Like she I thought kicks, that too, James. She kicks yeah. ass, and it's kind of, they have this camaraderie. And then in the middle of the movie, there's this weird sex. They have virtual reality sex. Virtual reality sex, which is very funny. But I still, in my mind, was like, okay, this could still, at the end, they're going to find out that's his daughter. And it's going to be this funny, like, oh, remember, we almost had sex, but it was virtual sex, and they can kind of laugh it off. And then the film, at the very end, they actually do end up together in a romantic way that felt very strange. And to me, it was clearly setting up that that is his daughter. Probably I think one, she is. Probably one version of the script confirmed as much, but it's been edited out. So, yeah. and I and I think I I read that like that was in the script, but Stallone wanted a romantic yeah. lead kind of thing, and it that aspect of the film, like if it would have ended with her revealing that I'm your daughter. Would have jumped it up a whole nother level. <laughs> Seriously, because like that to me was the emotional the twist. We need some incest in this uh, mix. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but like that was the Can't emotional. Can't the whole episode without it. I <laughs> wonder if he did that because honestly, like he looked good in this movie. Like I think this is probably one of the last movies that he looked hot in. Well, we do have to talk to about his naked body in this, right? Yeah, which correlates directly to the corporate tie-in thing where like he was one of the brand ambassadors for planet hollywood alongside oh, yeah. Schwarzenegger. i forgot about this and yes. in most planet hollywoods they had replicas of his naked body from this wow. movie when he gets cryogenically frozen yes and in the movie you see a lot of his body like yeah. full gooch oh on the God. glass <laughs> yeah. yeah you see right. like, the underside and even now in the 2020s when you go to um local antiquing stores you can find fully nude Sylvester Stallone replicas sold among like old furniture. Wow. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He looks amazing. (laughs) He looks great. And it's like, maybe he knew like, I I don't have that many more years. This is my last time to be a leading man. A leading like hottie Mm -hmm. with a romantic twist. But but God, like it was so clear, like the way she kicks ass and she loves those like old cop, movies and stuff (laughs) it's like that is your daughter and it was like setting it up beautifully yeah yeah. and when he kisses her at the end i'm like oh my god (laughs) no when they were in the car like yeah i thought about that whenever he pushes her hand away when she's like let me check and i'll tell you where she is and he's like nope like he kind of knew and then when they had sex like he wasn't into it right but she was really into it and you could tell he felt kind of weirded out by it and I'm like, oh my god, yes, this is gonna be the big reveal, the big reveal. Just and total re- misfire yeah. for me. They reference it multiple times. Like it's the kind of thing where you're like, okay, this is going to be revealed. I was thinking about the whole movie. I was like, is it Sandra Bullock? I guess it's not because they kind of had sex. And like, there's a woman in this last scene, frozen. Maybe that's his daughter. And yeah. so the fact that it's not resolved at all was so strange. Which is Bummer. a Daniel Waters touch mark, like. He wanted Heather's to end with the entire high school being blown up and having this like collective suicide note planted for the police to find to say like, you know, we did this together. Mm-hmm. And the final scene of the movie was supposed to be this high school in heaven, like finally getting Whoa. along after death. Like yeah. everyone's 
shedding the clicks that separated them and like they you know that's a great wow ending. right and the studio was like you can't kill <laughs> killing <kids."> children <laughs> right you can't have sylvester Stallone have virtual reality sex with his daughter and then acknowledge that's what happened this is the final line of the movie <sighs> but you could have right you could have yeah but anyway. he wrote three incredibly great movies i'm sure i'm missing one but between heather's demolition man and batman returns like Three of the movies I loved as a kid, you know, were all written nice. by this one guy. And he has a very dark sense of humor. So I'm mm-hmm. sure the incest was part of it. But PepsiCo put a stop to it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And again, to go back to the corporate tie-in thing, I was craving some Taco Bell after watching it. Well, like, Ooh, fancy Taco Bell. Yeah, that's fine. The, the Taco Bell also did not look very appetizing to me. No. It was like Taco Bell deconstructed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gastronomical Taco Bell. Right. And no salt. Yeah, no seasonings. Like this like flavorless looking pico de gallo on like a cutout tortilla strip. Just, yeah, but just hearing Taco Bell, I'm like ah. I guess yes. I d- like I like Taco Bell now, but I I don't think I had ever gone before I met James. Um, so I don't have like an intrinsic kind of craving mechanism. Best fast food. I mean, honestly. It's solid. Popeyes is my favorite, but Fair. Taco Bell's up there. Yeah. But, so for me, Taco Bell functioned more as like social political commentary than it did as product placement. It was funnier to me thinking that Taco Bell is has like a monopoly on all restaurants than like yeah. calling any feelings up within me. I did laugh a bunch whenever he went to Taco Bell like Sandra Bullock's like, oh my God. Yeah. We're going to Taco Bell. Hell yeah. And she <laughs> is so funny. And okay, the dress that she wore, I'm like yeah. fucking obsessed she with. It is great. all glass beads and the earrings are the same material as the glass bead dress. Mm-hmm. Very similar oh. to the awful gown that Winona Ryder wears in, in New York. But uh, it's I a better know. version of those it. Had those no bad hats. Horrible plastic discs. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is like the upscale this one version of it. awesome. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I kept like trying to find pictures of it. I think I have it on a Pinterest board already. Incredible. That Taco Bell food did look under-seasoned, though. Yes. And it could have borrowed some inspiration from another PepsiCo (laughs) brand. No. (laughs) Good segue. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think I have the most seasoned. Yes. You you have the spiciest. It burns good. It does burn good. (laughs) So, my the film that I picked is not like any of the other ones that we've watched because it's not a film that just sneaks they in. Stop it. It's not a film. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not a film that has product placement. It's more of like a movie about a product, even though it kind of sells itself to be like, this is the story of like a man and blah, blah. It's a story about like Frito-Lay. So I, I selected Flame and Hot that came out this year it is. Um, it was released. This is the first release that is a collaboration with Hulu and Disney Plus. And boy, does it fucking feel like it. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's content. But I was really pumped to see it because it's directed directorial debut by Eva Longoria, mm-hmm. who um, I really like her and all the fun sitcomy stuff that she's played in. She's in Desperate Housewives. Yeah. She's great in that series. Um, uh, sorry. 
that made everybody watch this. Um. It had to be done because we were talking about this earlier, but the, this is the year of the brands where yeah. like, there's so many movies right. that are just about a yeah. brand. Yeah. And I wanted to pick a movie about a brand and I'm like, I fucking hate basketball and shoes and I don't want to watch the, the Nike one. And I didn't want to do a Steve Jobs Apple thing. Yeah. 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 And this is the modern, like all the other ones we talked about is like product placement. This is. The whole crux of this film is the product itself. And I was, I really wanted to see this before you picked it because it also has like an immigrant story of entrepreneurship molded into it, which I felt could be very nefarious potentially. I do like Flaming Hot Cheetos. I I love Flaming Hot Cheetos and Funyuns. And and recently, uh, we have a, you know, vending machine at work and every month, the guy will come and anything that's like a day expired, he'll just like put it out on the table. And on Friday, there was a table full of Flaming Hot Cheeto. It was oh like my God. six or seven. Pa- and I brought two home yeah. and me and Hannah ate some the other night. On Friday, when I got home from work, I walked into the kitchen and there were two bottles <laughs> of wine, two bags of Flaming Hot Cheetos and a little bag of Funyuns and like a little shrine. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Friday night. It's baby. Friday, baby. <laughs> Flaming yeah. Hot. Have y'all tried? They also had a Flaming Hot Mountain Dew. Oh, my God. Oh, I've heard of that. I, I want to try it. Maybe when I, I think know. of uh, Mountain Dew, I think of Taco Bell. That's some Pepsi Baja, Coast Baja energy Baja. Right there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So many subsidiaries to dig through here. I'm learning about business. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) This movie was based on a memoir by uh, Richard Montanez. Memoir in quotation marks. Memoir, right. (laughs) He made made some shit up. (laughs) Right. Or did the Frito-Lay company make him look like he was crazy so he could take his idea? I'm taking the corporations. uh, Yeah, I'm actually on the side of Pepsi. I'm I'm on Richard's side. (laughs) Fuck that guy. Um, So... The, his book was called, it's the longest memoir title ever, A Boy, A Burrito, and a Cookie, From Janitor to Executive. Jesus Christ. So Evelyn Goria read it. She was very inspired by it because she's Mexican as well. And she's like, I really want to do this. Like, this is crazy. I didn't know that he did this. Um, that Richard, you know, invented flaming, the flaming Hot Chili Slurry. It sounds so gross. It's like, we put the slurry on everything. Like... Oh, it reminds me of sewage. The word slurry. It reminds like chili me chili sewage slurry. It reminds me of how they make chicken nuggets where they create a pink sludge. Yeah. And yes. Like, it's just like chicken <laughs> like, parts that they like uh, put in this like, uh, what do you call that? C- centrifugal yeah, it's force called, thing. Yeah, like pink. Yeah, yeah. They just make a pink ooze and then they reform yeah. it into a chicken nugget. <laughs> That's awesome. The chicken slurry. Um, But she was kind of excited for it. I think she was also like... It, the information got to her where they're like, girl, I don't think that this is like a true story. And she's like, well, I'm not trying to tell this like story of how Flamin' Hot was discovered. I'm trying to tell the story of like how an immigrant family achieves success in like the U.S. So, well, the movie is about the Flamin' Hot inventor, quote unquote. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, according to records, he claimed to have invented it after it was already made. Yes. He applied and... <laughs> He applied a already created flavored slurry to other products. He was like, Flamin' Hot was already a successful brand, and he like applied it to like popcorn and no, other Brandon. things. No, Brandon. Okay. No. It was made from scratch in the kitchen. They roast the peppers themselves. I mean, he did mobilize the Hispanic market, according to him. So I guess that's what we should say. Well, and it was, it's funny, too. Like, the brand, Poor like, 
kind of called him out on his shit, but then they're like, well, he's a good brand ambassador. It's a good story. Yeah. It's a good story. Let's not push want... the issue. Yeah. If anything, if I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I'm not taking sides quite yet, but I'm more on Richard's side. Um, but yeah, this is a, a great thing for them to do to be like, look what we've done to, you know, help the, the Hispanic community in America. We help, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why they're not leaning into it, even if it's a lie. But let's talk about what the movie's about. Yeah. So the movie's about Richard. Um, kind of starts off with him when he's like really little, and you know he comes from a family of of Mexican immigrants, and his experience in the U.S. as a little boy, and it's not great. He goes to school, and kids make fun of him because he has like bean burritos, and then. His mom's like, oh, just take an extra one and give it to your bully. And the bullies eat it. And they're like, this is delicious. And then he starts selling them and he makes his own little business. That's that Reaganomics coming right back yeah. in. <laughs> and yeah. then he makes his money. And then he, um, his girlfriend at the time was well, like his little girlfriend who eventually becomes his like wife. She wants chocolate. So he like saves up his quarters and he goes to buy her some candy. And the candy store guy's like yeah like you have money because you're you're a mexican kid and then he pulls out a wad of cash and he's like oh well you obviously stole that money and then he gets arrested and then the next scene is well i figured if i'm just gonna get blamed for crime i might as well do crime and then he um it, we're kind of i guess in like the 70s like um in like chicano culture in southern california mm -hmm. and he's like in a gang with his wife and they're like selling drugs but it's the most like disney-fied version of like gang culture that you've ever seen i found that stretch unbelievable because his credibility was already in question so like if he's telling me he invented flaming hot cheetos and he did not why would i believe his autobiography <laughs> he when he's, he was in a gang but that's something that like people make up all the time to make yeah. themselves sound tough yeah oh i mean and kind of the same thing with the, oh, my bully, he was picking on me, but I gave him a tasty bean burrito. I don't believe that for <laughs> a and he totally set. did a 180, and now we're like, get the fuck out well, of here. Well, all of it to me just felt so like, not, if, if any of this is real, it wasn't as easy and candy coated as they made it look in this movie it's very safe yeah it's very safe and like that's why part of me felt like is this just them trying to make this like a family film that like families can watch together and we'll get to stuff towards the end where i'm like there's no way it was that fucking easy and there wasn't like more horrible shit that happened along this whole journey if this journey is accurate but yeah, so he, well, she, his wife gets pregnant and then that's when he's like, I don't want to be in a gang anymore because I'm going to be a dad. She's going to be a mom. So we're not going to be in a gang. And then fast forward, they have like four kids, th no, three kids and they're sort of struggling to meet, make ends meet. And it's during the time where um, Reagan is like, you know, cutting funding for, you know, SNAP benefits and welfare and it hits them hard because they're working class so they can't they can't make it so his wife starts selling like homemade tortillas and he's looking for jobs and nobody wants to give him a job because of his past and they don't want to kind of give him a chance because he is mexican and he eventually like forces his way into like frito-lay and frito-lay gets a job at frito-lay but i don't find that frito-lay like at least my interpretation of this, the way they treated him was just fucking awful. Like, I don't think it glamorizes Reagan's era or like 
Frito-Lay as a corporation because it's like you're trying to steal ideas from your if well, if it's true. I mean, it it is a puff piece and it just the idea that you could go from being a janitor to being an exec. That's the American dream to On steal. On the merit of your like ingenuity. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> but like yeah, that's not even it, it took a long time for that to happen. So basically right long story short, he is like, "Hey, I want to bring something new because Frito-Lay is being impacted by the shit economy that Reagan's, you know, politics have caused." And hey, we're gonna hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> And we're gonna have to Brandon. Everyone's gonna Brandon lose with their... the pro Reagan stuff did not see that coming. I mean, that's today's episode. I wanna like commit yeah. to like a political Brandon, stance. Brandon, is that a Reagan button on your shirt? <laughs> Brandon, get the fuck out of here. That's I like Ike, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, he's he's like, I need, you know, they're and companies do this all the time. Like, I've been a part of something that recently where it's like hey we're you know people are going to lay people off but we need your ideas and corporations do that all the time and then it's like because the exec team can't fucking make ideas because they're not the people working so they take it from the people working by trying to incentivize you and be like wow this is great and you don't get rewarded for it he didn't i mean at the end of this like them being like oh yeah we're gonna try this flaming hot slurry sludge and put it on stuff and this is going to help the Hispanic community feel a part of Frito-Lay and buy our product and yada, yada, yada. But after it's successful, he's a janitor for a good bit. And then they promote him to like, what, a director? He's not even in the C-suite. And it's like, but that still, like you should have gotten like millions of dollars instead of like a work position that will give you like maybe 80 grand a year at that point in time is what I'm assuming that would have been on average. Like, it was just weird. And he's since climbed the ladder and become more of an executive. Yeah, right. I mean, I think probably what the position that he got is reflective of, like, what is on record for him actually but, doing. But I do, because this guy is a fraud, and I was reading his actual, he was a janitor, but then he was, like, a machinist. He was for a machinist, yeah. A long, it wasn't just, like janitor to marketing exec yeah, right it was like janitor to machinist right for a long period of time to marketing exec which is like a totally more normal story in a corporation which than doesn't just, normally pan out it's pretty incredible he got it is what yeah. he got no and he, he like deserves praise for the things he actually did but the way the movie sets it up it's like because of this benevolent upper management guy yeah. Tony, Tony Shalhoub, Shalhoub yeah. who's like yeah. a CEO type I don't know what <laughs> Yeah, he's like, He's the CEO. Right. Okay. He is totally like like there are but people like a regional one. There are people within Frito-Lay who like don't believe in this guy and like just kind of want to squash him. Tony Shalhoub is like a saint in the gospel of Frito-Lay. He's right. like and he puts this video forth and it's like the way it's presented in the film is i want to speak to the people like i want to hear what the people have to say and that's who i need to talk to like he's cutting through the bullshit of all of these other like you know people around him and he like lifts this guy up from like the dregs he's like i want to hear what this man has to say it's so unrealistic yeah most of the employees ignore it because they know it's bullshit but (laughs) 
the message seems to be like, no, you should listen. Right. It's like CEO worship. Yeah, listen like, to your executive. Your wise executive. Like he will help bring you up from the direct. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's so the message gross. I got from it was like opposite. I was like, wait, so they're going to reward you with a position instead of like actual a cut of the idea that you had and the profits that it brought in. But I think that's because he didn't have the idea. Like, I mean, if he had presented the equivalent of actually inventing flaming hot Cheetos in yeah. the movie, like that would be unbelievable. Like that's not what happened to him because that's not what he did. In real life. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like what he gets in the movie D- does not equate to what he would have gotten if he had actually if he had invented done it. it. Right. But it is in the movie presented as like, I've reached this pinnacle of power because in the very beginning, he's like, the camera, you know, it's following all these people within a restaurant and you think like maybe it's him yeah, as a young right. person. And then it goes to him eating he's a customer at this fancy restaurant and he's like this is where i am now and let me tell you how right. i started so it's like that is shown as a goalpost for him like it's a it's a high achievement in the context of the movie yeah i get i get what you're saying now because yeah. I, I think i was like taking it too personally where i'm like if i invented something like that and right. somebody was like i'm gonna make you a director i'd be like no i don't want to work anymore right, exactly. i want to make money off of this yeah yeah. Uh, according to my Cholo translator, um, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Pepsi was ballin' thanks to this G, <laughs> and Tony Shalhoub was the guy who took on Coca-Cola. So we have to kind of just defer to his wisdom. Right. And when he tells you what your place is in the hierarchy. I, I hated the Cholo talk throughout this. It seems so pandering. Condescending, condescending. to the audience. Horrible. Yeah. Even the freeze frames of like, you're probably wondering how I got here, where he's like running away from the cops when he was a gangster or whatever. So I couldn't generic. figure out if like, I mean, I'm not Mexican, so it felt I insulting. don't know. It felt that way, but I don't know if like people who are actually like Mexican were like, huh, that's funny. Well, it's like even like, Gloria being involved. I would right. think that that's why would, I'm like, maybe it maybe is I don't an authentic get it I'm white. thing, but man, as an adult. I just resented being told that this story is important. Yeah. Like the arc of the movie (laughs) is like this guy became this one man, not this whole community. This one man became like an executive within PepsiCo. Right. And I'm supposed to feel good that Pepsi almost faltered in the franchise wars against Coke, but eventually turned a profit. And I'm supposed to feel that this is important, right? Yes, well, because fuck you. Well, because they made ca- me mad. Because they captured the Latino market, you know, like yeah. And okay, his big emotional speech is like, I want to feel like my community is important when right. I buy snacks. Right. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, the money's not being reinvested in the community. It's like the mobilization of the Hispanic market, as they put it in the movie, right. is like. We need to find a way to make money off of your people. And there right. are, one guy benefited from that, right. but not everyone else. And there are Hispanic markets where you can buy authentically, you know. That aren't owned by PepsiCo. Yeah. That aren't owned by... It was are, already in the store. Are Takis owned by PepsiCo? I don't know. Because they're better. <laughs> there are more PepsiCo products I'm aware of now than I was like a week ago. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, that felt icky to me where it's like, so the... Frito Lay's like way of giving back to the Hispanic community was like taking money out of the Hispanic community. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and no. I mean, the thing that bothered, you know, we talked about the 
the burrito scene. And it's like, you know, like the takeaway from that was like, use your culture as a commodity in order to like gain power within your community. Like use it to make peace and right. show them. And it's and it's like at least with the bean burritos, like his family is making them and he's getting the money. Right. But but yeah, it's like applying that concept to make this company money. Like use your experience, become an entrepreneur and like assimilate within capitalism. And I and I I really cog in the machine. Right. I really love spicy cog. The, like, spicy though. Kind of commitment and loyalty to your company. Hard work pays off. Yeah. Just like I, keep your head down, do the work. Just right. do the work. Be a janitor for 15 years and you can eventually become the head of marketing for the Latino. Like, get the fuck out of here. It's all lies. I, this is the worst movie we've watched all year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I do agree. Matt is like miles ahead of this. Yeah. I kept trying to I think do agree. if this was a movie that wasn't about a very specific product. Like, if it wasn't flaming Hot and it was, like, something else at a different kind of company, like, does it pass as just being, like, a wholesome movie about, like, someone starting off as, like... It's a bad movie. Would it be that interesting in that context? Even? I don't know. No. It's a bad movie, and then the extra stuff on top of it, all the corporate stuff, makes it even more. And you're supposed to feel like it's deplorable. an important triumph yeah. for this community. It just felt like That's something worse. that you would watch on like Freeform. It feels yeah. like a movie I'd watch on the fucking tiny television above the gas pump for thirty seconds oh, while I'm like filling up my tank. Yeah. yeah, I've noticed that at the gas station now they're playing video. Very. It feels weird. like that. Like I should have watched it there. And, you know. There has been like a very good push for representation within film. Yeah. But this movie like uses racism and racial struggles in a way that also feels like it's just a filmmaking tool. Like in the very beginning, there are people like white people within the community, like throwing slurs at this family in a way right. that feels like very contrived. Like, I don't want to repeat them, but it's like, the good that this film is doing is not worth the slur that you're using in this. It's like using it as an excuse to kind of like force. It's racial. a heavier topic than it feels like. It wasn't with. gritty yeah. enough though. It's like, if you're going to go that far and like allow that like language, then you right. should show the reality of like what right. like Mexican Americans actually went through. And it's not just like, Oh, you know what? Your burritos are good. I guess I'll be your friend now. I'm right. like, no, you probably be the shit out of that kid. There was yeah. a joke. It was worse. The joke about brown. The chip, yeah, the brown chips get thrown off, and it's like it's, they're always trying to throw away the brown ones. Right. Jokes like that, I'm like, fuck. I just like my soul was being crushed. That. Yeah. And like bringing the TikTok famous child on the screen. Oh, the to little do boy. His dad. TikTok dad jokes. Too. Just like corporate oh. synergy bullshit. The um, whole way through. I would like for Eva Longoria to have another chance at a movie that's not about Why this. Why should she another chance? This was a success. It got great reviews. People loved but it. But like another chance for Swamp Yeah, this is like a well-reviewed, <laughs> loved movie. What's crazy is like... <laughs> She's doing well. I went know? through but this... But I want her to do well from our, the Swamp Flicks. On a good movie. Yeah. On our last <laughs> episode we did together where you kind of went against the beach. You hated the beach. That's this sort is of so much worse than the beach. But this is how I felt. <laughs> I, like I understood how you felt about the beach. Watch, I was yeah. like, everything in my soul was telling me this is like bad, bad on like 
not just a film, but like the soul of it's bad. Yeah. I don't like what it's trying to do. It's a lie. I don't like what it's trying to push. Everything about it just like I hated. It crushed me on the inside. Other than that. <laughs> Other than every atom in did your body. Every atom in my body. All of did anybody <laughs> feel like they wanted a flaming hot product? I okay. We had flaming hot. Y'all did, but but if okay. if it wasn't free, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't know. yeah, I don't see, know. The, the thing is that more than any other product in any of the films we've talked about, I really like Flamin' Hot Cheetos, and this movie made me never want to purchase Flamin' Hot Cheetos again. I was like, I do, and it's purely because I do not want to give money to, like, I don't want uh, Frito-Lay to feel like I am... I was influenced so, like, by this worked. movie. But right. when you buy a <laughs> Domino's working. pizza or right. you buy a, uh, no, sorry, a Pizza Hut pizza or when you buy a Taco Bell order, you're also feeding right. the uh, Flaming Hot Empire right. because there's only three companies <laughs> left okay, in the but world. Yeah, Brandon, I'm voting with my dollar. <laughs> I will go get Pizza Hut when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie comes out and they yes. will make those movies and no more of the Flaming Hot yeah. movies. But I think with all the other movies we <laughs> talked about today, there was some level of like irony like Taco Bell and Demolition Man. Right. Like, right. Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. joke there. Right. Even the Ninja Turtles eating the slimy Domino's pizza and the joke about it being late. There's a level of like irony to it. In Mac and Me, I, I almost want to say to you, like the fact that the even in Mac Coca Cola brings the yeah. aliens yeah. back He's to life. Sick. Pour him a Coke. Like the fact that the guy also directed Taming the T Rex gives me gives him a little leeway right. at the air. I think, but that is not in Flaming Hot. This is an earnest celebration yeah. of PepsiCo. It's good for yeah. the right. culture. And that makes it so much slimier. Yeah. yeah. So we're not reading the memoir. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. a memoir, first off. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's a lie. Memoirs about fiction. things that it's actually <laughs> happen. It's like, and there is irony in commercials too. But this was this felt like corporate worship. Yeah. Like the we are upholding Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, I could see that now. Yeah. I think I came at it at a different angle where I'm like, yeah, fuck that corporation for like still making him work. <laughs> There are racist, but I guess like that's the ideal. Mexico, yeah, right. The ideal is you want to be on an exec yeah. team, but Tony Shalhoub is the CEO. He's the god figure, right. and you're ultimately celebrating this one man who made a profit yeah. for this big company. Brittany, yeah. I think you're just a good person, <laughs> and you were like, "This is totally unfair," you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the movie does not think that. We're all bitter. Yeah, <laughs> I also think, if I'm going to be fair that this movie will be more interesting with time. And these other films that we're talking about have had 30 years of like gestation to become more interesting. This one doesn't have. It Is this going to become campier? I think it will be Or forgotten. as time goes by, like 20 years from now, remember that fucking movie they made? That really bad movie about flaming Hot Cheetos that, that that fucking dude lied about? Like, let's watch how weird it but, was. But, you know, like Mac and me has like weird... Aliens with yeah, like the anus mouths. Like this doesn't have anything <laughs> that's nipples. just yeah. Cheetos. Twenty years from now, that you can like oh, laugh at it and have a good that's time true. with it. Yeah. It's really just a bad movie that's not going to age well. I do want to say that you know because the film is uh, some of very many people. I did actually like the lead actress who's the, I don't know I felt like the actors gave good performances Hannah, I felt don't, like they don't were, try to no, I'm not I'll say one positive thing I liked too. her okay. 
I liked like the too. tour of the factory and seeing how the Cheetos get dusted with flavor. And how yeah. they're so naked. It reminded me of like the Before Mr. Rogers dusted. segments where you go to like the factory to <laughs> yeah. see like glasses. Or like how stuff. is it made? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. or how it's made. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever yeah. that show is. And I didn't know they did such a thorough cleaning of the machines. Yeah. I, I also oh, Pepsi puts out great products. <laughs> <laughs> Very clean. Uh, One thing I did find funny when they were trying to come up with the spice blend is like Buying all these like actual peppers like and roasting. They use fresh real food and spices, James. So. No, they fuck it. And then it's like McCormick's. You know, like. Oh, yeah, that's right. true. And why is it oh. neon? Yeah. And then there is that like they cut away to a lab in the Midwest where they're like trying to create and they're like, mm, put in more MSG. And it's like, this is how that is, Flamin' Hot was yes. made. Yes. This is how it was made. There was no like Latino family sitting around like. Right. Roasting peppers, roasting peppers and oh, it's a little too spicy. We need a little more habanero right. or a little less Anaheim or whatever the fuck. Like, yeah, so false. Right. <laughs> uh, it's like when there's those um the ocean spray cranberry commercials where it's uh-huh. like, oh, here's our cranberry. Oh yeah, the farming. cranberry bogs. This is how we do it. Bullshit. You know, it's so funny. Yeah, like just this one one uh, Mexican family roasting these peppers for the seasoning. I do feel like this topic has warped my brain. I see product <laughs> placement everywhere now. Yeah. I wish I could turn it off. And I'm sure in a few weeks it'll wear off. Yeah. Next week on the podcast, we are watching Juan Car Wise 2046. Oh, cool. Which I assume will be a higher brow topic than this. Yeah. I've not seen that film. I have not seen it, but I've really wanted to. Yeah. It's on Criterion Channel right cool. now. Oh, yeah. Uh, who knows what it will advertise? Pepsi <laughs> <laughs> or Coke, apparently the two options. On Wii, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I do want to give Brittany a floor. Do you have any like movies you want to promote that you've watched in the last couple of weeks? That I want to promote? No. Oh, yeah. Well. No, I haven't really like found anything out. Oh, I did. Um, I watched The Meg. Oh. And I really oh, liked fun. it. Cool. So yeah, the sequel's coming s- out, right? Yeah. I'm like a fan. Don't sleep on it. Yeah. Sponsored by Shark Week. Sponsored by Shark there Week. Of Discovery Channel that's probably owned by fucking PepsiCo. <laughs> We would like to once again thank our sponsors, Barbenheimer, PepsiCo, mm. Coke, Incest, Frito Lay, and, and in- most incest. importantly, Incest. <laughs> our biggest our funder, main sponsor. Of <laughs> I'm glad we worked that in today. In a movie that didn't actually have it, right. but probably but we wanted it to. <laughs>